This is it. The last two season previews now are going to be in the books momentarily. We got the Boston Celtics with Jared Weiss, and then Derek Bodner is going to join me after this to do the Sixers. Jared, what are you up to these days? I'm feeling the pressure of having to open for Derek Bodner. That's a that's a major ticket there. I'm honored to be the undercard. <laughs> well, so you're still covering the Celtics, of course. Just tell me what you're doing real quick before we get started. So yeah, I joined uh, USA Today as about a month ago and i'm covering them for uh, the celtics with a new site called celtics wire so celticswire.com pretty easy um and we uh it's right now it's myself and we're, we're building up a small staff over there but we're just trying to cover every story from every angle and if you followed my work over at celtics blog and i'm, I'm still with clns media network as well but if you're familiar with my work over there i'm going to be doing a lot more film heavy stuff access to nose focus stuff it's kind of more of the niche that we're going for there but we also are very silly because you can't not be silly and cover basketball full-time <laughs> yeah yeah really so uh i guess the question of how good these guys were last year is uh of limited relevance i would say given that what is it like eight of their top 12 players are, are going to be new players this year that's right only four holdovers at least the four holdovers were crucial components to their rotation because it would it'd be one thing if it was like four holdovers but one of them is like some you know is gerald green or tyler zeller but at least they've maintained so you know the most i'd say the most important defender and probably the most important offensive player as far as running their system so they have some continuity from last year but you can't draw too many conclusions from the track record they established last year so i guess i want to maybe do from a a comparison here and and instead of just saying okay you know who's going to get better who's going to get worse maybe we can kind of compare what they got from each position last year to what we expect them to get this year and i think the obvious place to start there is with Kyrie Irving and what Isaiah Thomas gave them last year do you see that just in terms of like what he's going to do this year as an upgrade or a downgrade I would say like a diagonal downgrade. It's like, it's, I guess, because Isaiah had an almost perfect offensive season last year. So expecting Kyrie to do anything resembling that, even though Kyrie's usage should probably go up, even though it was pretty high already in Cleveland. I don't, they're, they have so much work to do to really build out and figure out what their system is that I just think it's going to be a while until they're really kind of maximizing what he can give them. Right now, they're kind of just doing a lot of the stuff that's in his comfort zone. And if they really want to maximize his efficiency they're gonna have to get him playing more like the way they were playing with Isaiah where I mean part of what made Isaiah's numbers so historically great last year was he only took threes and shots in the paint he didn't really do anything besides that and they wanted to just maximize every shot they could get and he got to the free throw line an insane amount for a point guard so Kyrie isn't quite doing that stuff he's resorting to a lot of the stuff that he's already been doing and I think a big part of it for him which I think he's been pretty vocal about and something the team is not really being vocal about but they will be eventually is basically just trying to get Kyrie to fit into the philosophies that they've been following for the last few years, which is, of course, following the seven seconds or less principles and what Golden State has been doing. Yeah, that's the biggest difference, I think, between Kyrie and Isaiah that a lot of people don't really understand is Isaiah got to the foul line so much more than Kyrie, who really has not been a huge free throw player, right? I mean, he only his career high in free throw attempts per game is 4.9. He had four 4.6 last season and Isaiah was like what was he like 8.5 three or free throw attempts per game last year trying to get to the shot distribution here but he was I believe he was second among guards last year to what or I guess third behind Westbrook and Harden but he was right out there 
there at the top. I mean, that was his whole... His game was either coming off of a handoff or a curl and pulling up for three, or just driving and smashing himself into the chest of the interior defender and drawing the foul. That was pretty much every single play for him last year. Well, and he is also one of the best at, oh, the guy kind of reaches his hand in on the DHO and he goes straight up for the shot and gets the three-shot foul or the two-shot foul. The other one, probably the, the other one too, is that he is so fast too working off the ball that he could sprint and then the other guy would be sprinting behind him as he comes out the DHO. He could just stop on a dime, pull up for the jumper, and the guy would just run right into him. He'd get a lot of foul calls that way as well. And yeah, it was. It was 8.5 free throw attempts per game last year for Isaiah. And I do think like Kyrie, for what I've seen of him in the preseason is I usually try to focus a little bit more on kind of the unheralded guys because you don't get to see them as much during the regular season when I watch preseason but I, I've noticed that it seems like he's trying to overpass a lot but he's passing more out of like the normal plays that he usually runs like he'll drive to the basket he'll have a layup and like no I'm just gonna pass it instead of taking you know kind of a difficult layup as opposed to just like moving the ball quickly moving off the ball like really getting integrated quite yet has that been your observation as well yeah I mean I think he's just still trying to figure out where he like when he gets the ball where is he supposed to be moving it and then where is he supposed to be looking for the cutter um so we saw a lot of a lot of iso in those four games that they played so far and he may i mean a lot the last game against charlotte where he had i want to say nine assists he really it looked like he was kind of really in his comfort zone and was able to sit back more and start kind of flinging passes a big part of that is he was going against dwight howard who's become just completely ineffective guarding the pick and roll at this point um but he he seemed to have a lot more comfort over where guys are going to be but right now so much of their offense has been just uh different players kind of driving into the mid-range area and then kicking the ball back to a player curling from the corner or something along those lines and they're still trying to figure out how to get the ball side to side which is a huge area i guess like what i would consider the one of the main units of measurement that stevens has for the success of their offense is how much they're able to get the ball touching each side on a possession he generally wants the ball to move at least three you know three different sides per play right Right now, I don't think it's moving in the way that they want it to. And I think they're dribbling a little bit more than they want to right now. Um, and it, it, until the shot distribution gets more three-point heavy to resemble what it has in the past, they're not. They're just not going to be really running their optimal system. So I think everything that we're seeing now is kind of the bare bones of what they're trying to lay down, which is something that Stevens has kind of hinted at. But it's going to really evolve over the course of the year, especially once they figure out how to really utilize Gordon Hayward. Because I think that's that's the guy that seems to be most the most underutilized right now is Hayward I agree with you and, and it's interesting because in some ways I'm not sure this is exactly what he signed up for playing with Kyrie Irving rather than no, it's definitely not I, Isaiah Thomas and like a bunch of rookies you know no Avery Bradley I guess they knew by the time he signed that that Bradley was gonna have to get moved on but uh no Jay Crowder so it is gonna be different and they also now it's going to be Hayward it sounds like starting with Jalen Brown at the two Jason Tatum at the four I mean you can argue about who's the two through four and that alignment Al Horford at the five what do you think of that as a starting lineup well, this is what I thought their starting lineup would be in a year or two from now. It's like, right. this is clearly what the goal of the franchise development has been is for this lineup. I can't believe they're doing it opening night, but Tatum looks pretty ready, frankly. Everything I've seen from him so far indicates that he, I mean, he's going to be going up against LeBron in his first minutes in the NBA, and I think he's probably going to get his ass kicked, but he'll probably be able to bounce back from that and get 15 to 20 minutes in that game on Tuesday. I don't know how it's going to work for them over the course of the year, but early 
early on, they're I think one they're trying to really establish their switching defense, and this lineup has been that lineup that they're running out there has been switching really well. Tatum has been surprisingly good at that early on, um, and you know it doesn't. All three of those wings are just about the same size. Tatum's really skinny, but both Hayward and Jalen Brown are you know six eight two thirty range and can handle playing the four if they need to. Basically, can handle guarding LeBron if they need to for extended stretches. So for them, they're looking at this lineup and they're thinking this is what we wanted, which is we're just going to switch everything on defense and all of these guys can initiate the attack on offense. So you never know who's the point guard on the team at any given moment. We can start sets with any of these guys. You can kick it to any of these guys on the weak side and they can attack off the closeout. So they're getting the versatility they want. I'm I'm skeptical that Tatum's going to look good early on. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble, but he's got a few things he can go to and he's been surprisingly composed throughout the game so far. Yeah, I mean, really, I think part of it just starting these two rookies is just to make them look better in terms of trade value that wouldn't surprise me uh, you know uh, always looming over this squad is the potential of another trade whether it's for uh, anthony davis is the one that everyone talks about and you know that i don't expect that to happen before next summer necessarily but i mean i think we're gonna find probably that marcus morris and marcus smart are better players to help the celtics win this year than jason tatum and jalen brown which I totally agree with, and I think they'll probably be starting at some point. Um, although having Jalen start fits for them really well uh, as far as what they want to do with their system. But Marcus is better, and Marcus can still guard pretty much any player that Jason uh, or that Jalen Brown can guard. And then Morris, who has some knee soreness, and he's probably going to be out for at least the first week of the season. He seems the optimal person to fit in there uh, at the four for most of the time, and he can do he can do everything that they pretty much need him to do. Um, although we have seen him play the four necessarily in a while although i think this is probably his optimal position especially in this system but he's going to be rusty for a while and i don't if he ever does make the starting lineup i think it'll take him weeks so there's a chance that if tatum just looks composed enough that this lineup works they could just stick with it for the near future yeah morris of course missing large portions of camp due to that assault trial of which he was he and his brother were both acquitted in arizona um and then i guess at the three gordon hayward a clear upgrade from what they had last year it really does seem like the ball movement is going to be something to watch especially early on here I mean if you look at this roster Tatum known for doing a lot of ISO that's all he did in summer league Jalen Brown you know he'll get rid of the ball he tries to play team ball but he's not really a great passer Kyrie well chronicled issues in that regard Gordon Hayward played in a very egalitarian system in Utah but also came to Boston in part because he felt like he was going to have more of a chance to work with the ball in his hands so a lot of the, i mean there's gonna be a lot of pressure on al horford to run things through them and, and to get these guys moving hard off the ball hayward really the only one who has much of a history of doing that yeah, I mean, the pressure is huge on Horford, but it will throw some numbers out there. So last year in the regular season, for the percentage of their field goals made that were assisted, they were second in the league at 65.3, and then they were first in the league in the playoffs at 70.2. In the preseason, they're 15th at 59.9. Uh, for context, the Warriors are down at 18th, so it's a very small sample size. But if you watch the Celtics, I mean, you can definitely see why that number is down. Um, they've Between Kyrie and Tatum, there's been a lot more ISO 
So they're going to post-ups uh, for their wings and guards a lot more. Last year, Marcus Smart was the only guy that they really posted up in Horford on rare occasion. But they're doing it with Kyrie. They're doing it with Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown does it a little bit too. And Hayward can do it as well. So you know they have the option that whenever they catch a smaller guy onto a player on a switch, they can just go post them up. And they're doing that a lot more. And of course, that's easy offense. So when you have a new team and you have a convoluted system, it's good to give yourself a break and just go to that every once in a while. But obviously it's not. I wouldn't consider that a sustainable, efficient offensive model. So we'll see if that changes. But they thrived off of almost every single you know, every single basket was assisted. They didn't do clear outs very often. They had great ball movement. They, they averaged more passes per game than just about every team in the league. And they're not doing that right now. They can certainly get there and they can run a lot of the same stuff they did last year and then have guys that are more capable that can execute because their whole the whole flaw and weakness with the team that got exposed in the playoffs last year against Cleveland was their system is great, but then in the playoffs, you only have one guy that can really get it done on his own. All the other guys get neutralized for the most part, and they're trying to beat that by having all five guys on the floor can play make on their own. Yeah, and Marcus Morris, another guy who falls into that category, has historically been kind of an, an isolation player uh all right let's take a quick break here do a read and we'll be right back here with jared weiss we're all looking for something for some it's love for some it's purpose for some unforgettable experiences but for most it's our keys with tracker pixel you'll never have to worry about losing your things again they changed everything eight years ago and they released their first tracking device now they've done it again with the all-new tracker pixel is the lightest bluetooth tracking device on the market i have one it's on my keys i don't even feel it it doesn't add any weight whatsoever you place it on whatever you tend to lose your keys your wallet even a pet potentially if you misplace an item that has a tracker pixel attached use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds it also has powerful led led lights you can find it in the dark and it can help you find your phone too if it's on silent like you got your keys you can use it to find your phone it'll wake it up and make it ring better yet because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locate network in the world, you can locate items for miles away. Thanks to their 30 day money back guarantee, you truly have nothing to lose. The way you get started with them and let them know, of course, that you came from us, go to the tracker, T R A C K R, the tracker.com slash cap space. They'll get you 20% off any order. That's the tracker.com slash cap space for 20% off that URL slash cap space. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program and of course that lets them know that you came from us that's the tracker t-r-a-c-k-r.com slash cap space all right so we talked about Jalen Brown where is he at now I thought that his summer league was disappointing to me a little bit he didn't show much growth as a ball handler or passer but not to be asked to do this that much do you have any observations on what you expect from him this year uh based on the preseason and just uh you know what you know of him yeah, the interesting thing with Summer League was that they were using him in a way that they don't use him very often. They were trying to push him out of his comfort zone to see what you know what they could try to do with him in the regular season. For instance, using him as a pick-and-roll playmaker, and his ball handling has always been a, an issue for him. He um, he loves doing big crossovers that look great until they hit his left hand and then bounce right off of it and turn into a turnover. And he's he's gotten like marginally better, but he still seems a little sloppy with the handle. So I think he has to learn how to get lower to the ground and tighten it up a bit and just get a better left hand overall 
Um, but he moves so well with and without the ball. He's very graceful and has really good footwork. The seams have gotten better, and he's gotten bigger. He grew, it looks like he grew an inch and put on about 10 to 15 pounds or so, and he still looks cut as hell, so that's only going to help him, especially because he's going to be switching on the fours a lot. So his defense is continuing to improve in the small sample size that we're seeing. He looks like he's already becoming a very good on-ball defender, and he's a pretty good, or I guess he's he's a good enough help defender that he doesn't really have any issues, but they can switch him on to, we saw him guarding Kemba Walker one-on-one, and he was smothering Kemba Walker. Yeah. He can switch on I the I think he's better against small guys. I think he's, yeah. LeBron, I mean, you mentioned him in theory guarding LeBron. I agree in terms of physical size, he's, you know, as good as you're going to get in the NBA, but his technique trying to guard LeBron in the post was just so bad in last year's playoffs, and I'm not sure if he's, if he can correct that, that maybe he could be an adequate option there, but, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't count on it yet. Well, I think that's the harder thing to learn if you're a young guy, especially yeah. a wiry guy like him, is learning how you know how to leverage, how to hit guys without committing fouls because he was committing a ton of fouls early on. Right. Um, and I think that's I think that's the biggest part of the learning curve for him defensively. As far as being a switching wing, I think he's already really good at that to the point that they need someone to take the mantle from what Crowder and Bradley were doing for them. And between him and Smart, I think the there's not going to be a big drop off there. Um, but yeah, when he's going against LeBron, when LeBron gets him leverage in the paint LeBron can just rip right through him and he's still got he's also figured that out and frankly as physically impressive as he is he doesn't play with a lot of power yet and that's that's the big thing he has to learn is how to physically assert himself how to you know how, I mean just you know learning all the leverage stuff and, and all the technique stuff that allows you to bang with guys when you're a little skinnier than them so because he's not I assume he's not going to get that much bigger maybe he will I mean he's still 20 I think so you know he's certainly young and he's got plenty of growth to do but he already is pretty big as it is yeah and he, he can finish with power i think like bouncing off of guys but yeah in terms of leverage on the ground i, I agree with you um and so you, you say that tatum looks ready like what what about what you've seen from him makes you think that he um he isn't panicking with the ball. He's able to move the ball quickly when it gets to him for the most part. And I think most rookies that I've seen, when they get to the ball, they have to really figure out what to do with it. And they're hesitating to shoot or they're hesitating to put on the floor. He's, I mean, right now, his main function has been he's on the weak side, the ball gets swung to him, and he either shoots or he pump fakes out of a closeout and then steps in for like an 18-footer. He's been pretty good at that so far. He's even shown a few times where he drives to the middle and then kicks it out. So he just he's shown that he can play in the rhythm with the starting lineup which is just more than I expected from a 19 year old um and he's I think he's shown that his game can be more than just simply pump faking and driving there's a lot of components to his offensive game that are better than I could have expected after watching him play at Duke last year and the fact that they haven't gone to him posting up that much and they're using it just on occasion I figured that it would be when he comes into the game with a second unit they're going to run a bunch of those plays early on to get him feeling comfortable and then he'll have to figure it out from there but they haven't been going to that a ton only a little bit when he gets a mismatch so he is he isn't as reliant on his habits as i would have expected and he seems to be learning really quickly and then just going over to the defensive side it's just i think i've been really impressed with how good he is on staying in front of smaller guys he um you know he, he also went up against i think kemba and malik monk a few times and was actually able to stay in front of them and, and contest their shot pretty effectively so he can do that pretty well and on switches he's jumping up high he's cutting off the ball handler pretty well he's doing all the stuff that i think stuff probably even better than Jalen is doing at this point 
even though Jalen's still better as a one-on-one defender. Um, but he's he's showing the kind of stuff that I expected him to pick up later in the year, and the fact that he's doing it just through a short training camp is pretty impressive. What's his shot mix been like? Because my concern about him was it just was going to be too many ISO long twos, which of course he's good at, but you know you're not getting the foul line a lot. It, it's really tough to be efficient. Uh, uh, I've noticed his three looks more comfortable taking the three, especially above the break than it seemed like in summer league. But like, has he been taking a lot of those contested long twos? Yeah, well, not contested. That's I think that's the important thing is he hasn't taken many contested long twos. Most of the long twos that he's taken, he's coming off of a curl or yeah. it's from an up fake out of a closeout. So a lot of them have been actually impressive plays where he's either in the corner or on the elbow and they close out on him. He up fakes and steps around it and he sees the second defender coming in from the interior and he's able to comfortably pull up and he's been, I think he's been shooting around 50% or so on those shots. Um, so he's he's got good body control al- already. You know, he's maybe it's because he's... He's so skinny that there's not a lot of weight for him to uh, try to start and stop with, but he's able to put the ball on the floor. He has good footwork and he's able to pull up pretty comfortably. He's not, you know, throwing it off the back of the rim very often. Um, I think he's having more trouble getting to the rim over, uh, over, you know, good defenders uh, contesting him. He, uh, he had one play on the break where he made a really nice play. And then I think Kemba Walker took the charge on him and he wasn't able to Euro step around him, which would have been the move there. So he's still at the point where he's just trying to get to the rim as quickly as he can but he's got to figure out how to get around defenders so that he doesn't draw charges and other stuff like that so that'll come eventually but the fact that he can play on the perimeter pretty competently i think is a pretty big or i guess an unexpected sign for boston which is probably the reason why they're willing to start him out the gate uh so really quickly here in terms of playing time which of these guys are or put these guys in order of who you think will play the most Abdel Nader, Semi Ojale, Gershon Yabisele, Daniel Tice. You're not going to like my answer, but I think they're all even. <laughs> um, it's, you know, Stevens has had a habit of back at the rotation guys. They come into the rotation for two weeks and then they're out. You know, Jonas Jarebko, Gerald Green, those guys uh, are very familiar with that, even Seller. Um, you know, the, all, all four of those guys are different players, and, which is I, one of the, I guess, one of the impressive things about this rebuild over the year is that they got a ton of rookies and they're all, they all have very slightly different characteristics. So there's really not a ton of overlap as far as what they give you. So so, you know, Tice of, of the big, you know, they're going to need one, you know two of those guys, one wing, one big, to be part of the rotation, uh, or at least the back end of it. Tice is, he seems like a very steady and consistent guy who does a few things for you. He does them, you know, decently well. It's He's a good pick and pop or pick and roll player. He's a pretty smart interior defender, and he can get up high enough that even at 6'9", he can contest at the rim. Um, he's a, I'd say, a mediocre rebounder, but he does like two or three things well for you. So depending on the matchup, I think they'd like to use him but Yabusele is a much more dynamic player he's just pretty lost on defense right now I think he's still trying to figure out how to deal with the speed of NBA defenses because he's he's just out of position all the time he's late on rotations he's committing fouls but he um I mean they can put him at the they can put him at the top of the key and try to play make through him the same way they do with Horford so I think their goal by the end of the year is that they can bring him in for Horford sometimes and be able to run a lot of the same actions because he can he has a lot of the same skills just obviously he's a completely home man's Horford at this point yeah I have a prediction I think that Yabusele will have a rookie option declined uh at at some point in wow. his Celtics career um I just I don't wow. see it with him I don't like he doesn't fit to me in terms of like the theory of him and I'm not sure that he's even that good at like what he's supposed to be good at. he said 
I mean, every time I've seen him, really, both summer leagues that he's played in, preseason, he was awful statistically. And just, he seems like the worst of both worlds in that sense where it's like, all right, he's kind of a ground-bound guy who really needs to be a center but can't protect the rim at all. He does have, like, slightly quicker feet and, like, he has a skill level. But, you know, I'm not, he's more of, like, a three-point taker than maker at this point. You know, I don't see him, like, just going down to kill dudes in the post. And then defensively. No, definitely not that kind of player. Yeah. defensively i'm not sure that like he really works that well either due to his lack of explosion um so i just don't really see the concept of him you know i mean i I never want to be like that low on someone early on but i just i never really got it with him he always seemed like kind of a signability pick you know to to steal a baseball term where they needed someone who's going to stay overseas last year and uh you know so so i just don't get with him. nader i like and ojale i like i mean i think though to me i think ojale would be the one i would pick there among all those I mean, maybe Tice just because you know they'll he's they'll need him to play if like Baines or Horford is out. Um, but I think Ojale is the one I expect to be the best player of all those guys, just because he defends right away and he can hit shots. Um, and that's that's always going to be a useful skill set because he's built like a brick wall and he could really defend probably one through five maybe at some point. You know, just before I even get to those, I agree with you. Just on on Yabusele, I think he's going to have to lose a lot of weight. Yeah. Like, people love how big he is and how muscular he is, but he's he's so heavy that he actually is a pretty good leaper and he gets up there, but he's just so heavy that it like takes some time to get in the air. And he's just too, he's too plodding, but he's nimble enough that he looks like he's moving well. I think for him, he's just going to need a lot of time to figure it out because he just looks so lost out there at the time. But he, I think he has a, a skill set that he could be a useful rotation player and he could be used at the five in a way that not a lot of players can. I mean, he's, you know, the French Draymond comparison is based on playing style, but like skill wise, obviously, he's, you know, that's not even, they're not, it's not even a comparison. But he, I think they want to be able to just have a player that can do those kind of things for them besides Horford. And they, they'll give him time. He definitely looks better than the guys who they didn't keep, like Mickey and Young, who were guys that they declined the option or got rid of. Yeah. Um, he looks better than those guys did really ever when they were in Boston already. So I'm optimistic that he'll be at least try to get into the rotation at some point. And then going to Ojale, Ojale is de- I think he's definitely the best prospect and probably already the best player out of all those guys, even though Tice can do the one or two things already better than any of them can but he he's shown that he can score like he he hit some shots he had the a game against philly i think where he had like 16 points uh running with the garbage time unit so he shows he can get buckets he was able to get in transition and actually handle the ball in transition although he tried to dunk and he ended up missing the dunk but he drew a foul so it's okay but he's shown that he can do some stuff offensively especially he can he can also attack a closeout which i think is one of the most important things for this team is that they want to be able to spread the floor and then unlike in years past if they can't get the three off they want these guys to be able to dribble in and then take a shot or pass out of it so they can keep the ball flowing and that was one of the big issues that they had the last couple years so they can see him doing that and then like obviously defensively he's just unbelievably versatile and he's unbelievably powerful and he's already showing that he has really good defensive footwork i mean he showed in the summer league he was guarding uh, zubach who had like what eight inches on him or something like that and he was doing a really good job on him so ojali is another one of these guys that they love because they can plug him in anywhere into pretty much every single lineup so they'll like that and then nader nader's good on the ball you know he's a nut he's he's got some similarities to tatum where he's like this this nice languid ball handling guy that can get to the rim he just he's not that good of a finisher he's an okay 
finisher and he can get a shot off to a degree in the mid-range. Um, I'm still, I'm not sure how much of a ceiling he has, whether it's barely cracking the rotation or back of a roster guy, but he, you know, they'll get him in there when they just want to have a, a four that can put the ball on the floor and move it. I think that's probably his best chance of getting in there. Yeah, and I think he is an interesting guy because in, at the lower level, summer league, D league, he can get to the rim. He's got these spin moves, some nice hesitations, Euro steps. Uh, you mentioned not the greatest finish. You know, he's not like some kind of nuclear athlete the way you see most NBA slashers. Like he's a level below that. And so the question is, can he be good enough at doing this stuff in the ball with the ball in his hands to really be someone that is going to be in the rotation on a good team? Like, is he good enough to like take the ball out of the hands of other players? Probably not on this great Boston team. And so you, I think Ojale has the, the most obvious role compared to him, even though, you know, if you wanted to say who would be a better D-League player, you might say that it would be Nader <laughs> over him because, you know, he's a guy who can create offense for you. I'm just not clear whether he can do that at the NBA level. I, I, so I would say that Yabu and... Um and Ojale are the guys that the, if you're making a four-man depth chart out of these guys those are the guys at the top that are most likely to get into the rotation yeah. and so, then so Tice he, and Nader Yabu, are able to... Yabu's ahead of Tice in the rotation? I I think so I think he's had more minutes and I think he fits more into what they do. Tice is basically a backup to Baines. It's really just when Baines is hurt which he has yeah. been hurt so which is why Tice has been playing but yeah it's like Tice only does like two or three things so when they need in the when they're going up against teams with two bigs and they need a lot of minutes and a lot of fouls from Baines Tice will also get in for those games but in general I just think Yabu Sale fits more with their system um so but I mean Tice has shown that he is he's fluid and athletic or he doesn't get high but he he moves very nicely he recovers very nicely and he runs really hard so I mean for the things that he can do he does them at a very competent level but we've literally you know it's like judging all these guys we've only seen them play four preseason games against two teams that were either banged up or weren't playing their guys so I'm I you know we're we're the the sample size is almost nil at this point. Yeah, that's a good point that the preseason is much shorter than it used to be for a lot of these guys, which is a good thing. Uh, but it's also you can't just oh look at his averages from the preseason. It's it's less meaningful than it had been in the past. The two guys we haven't talked about in the rotation so far. Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. Smart has been, uh, both these guys actually have been on fire in the preseason. Uh, and Smart seems like, you know, with, with Rozier being pretty good, it doesn't seem like Smart's going to play as much backup point guard this year. Do you think that's accurate? I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe Smart should be starting because they, yeah. don't, they, don't, they don't have to have him to run the second unit anymore because between Hayward and Kyrie, they're always going to have one of those guys out there. So the whole necessity for Smart to help the second unit stay afloat thing is probably gone although i definitely don't think rogier is ready to be the ball handling point guard for the second unit that i think that's been one of the there hasn't been much to be disappointed about but i think his composure as a point guard hasn't been he hasn't improved on that as much as i would have expected over the offseason but smart on the other hand is he's looked great i mean he's so good now it's hard to imagine him being a, a bench player at this point interesting yeah i mean what's been so good about it i know he's been seven out of 12 on threes and he i mean he he got hot in that one game against Cleveland too I think it was game three that the one that they won uh and on twos he's I think he's always going to kind of struggle
struggle i mean is what do you see from him that's like so much more impressive because i don't know that they see him necessarily as like a point guard but do you see him more in that role or is it really you just think he's going to be like their backup to or maybe starting to if he outplays Jalen Brown I think he's really looked like a point guard so far the big th- the big improvement for him is he's he's scoring in the paint really well right now is he is Walt he's kind of comfortably waltzing in there letting all the guys make their runs and then pulling up for one-handed floaters high off the rim that are actually bouncing in softly he's doing a lot of the stuff that he hasn't really done in years frankly and he's also showing the ability to drive and then pull up from 15 feet out so he's starting to score from pretty much everywhere on the floor he still isn't getting all the way to the rim in the way that they want him to and especially with his new skinny marcus fabulous new bod where yeah. he's lost 20 pounds he still isn't exploding over guys anymore you know he's one of those guys where he on two feet his vertical is like almost 40 inches but off of one foot it's like 20 inches yeah and i thought i thought this would be i i interviewed him about this like a year or two ago back when he had a lot of ankle injuries and he was really evasive on why he doesn't get jump well off of one foot versus two foot i always assumed it was he was pretty much always dealing with a mild ankle sprain but he's been healthy for a while now so i don't think that's a problem anymore and i figured the weight was the other culprit but he's getting up there a little bit better but it's still it's he still jumps half as high off of one foot and obviously if you're driving to the rim and you want to finish over someone it's pretty rare you're able to do a jump stop and actually get the jump off of two feet so until he adds that to his game he's always going to be limited to a degree but he's showing the ability to get the get shots off in the paint at different angles which will help uh, mitigate that his ball handling is even better now i think he's finally at the level of like a decent point guard from a ball handling perspective and he just looks he looked last year he looked more composed inside the three-point line as far as running the offense now i think he looks completely composed like you would actually expect from a starting point guard and then I don't really know what to make of the three-point shot. I mean, mechanically, it looks fine. It's not even... He he actually went away from some of the changes that he made last year. A lot of it was getting away from doing a really deep ball dip at the start of a shot where he would drop it between his knees before bringing it up. And he got rid of that and brought it up to his waist, more like you know, Clay Thompson does. And now it seems like he's dipping the ball again, but he's a lot more in rhythm, which is really all that matters in your jump shot. So his footwork's good, and his rhythm and composure seem to be a lot better, where he used to always hold his finish because that was one of the things they were working on and something he was really inconsistent with he doesn't seem to be doing that anymore which to me is a sign that he's just a lot more comfortable and he's doing a lot less thinking when he's shooting the ball and the numbers and the extremely small sample size are bearing it out so i mean he just looks so much more composed on offense and defense he's still doing everything that he always did so to me he's 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 no he's the one guy i think that's made a big leap from last year that'd be interesting to see and it sounds like it's unlikely they will reach an extension agreement with him and which i probably wouldn't either i mean i think he's gonna want solidly into eight figures and and i'm not sure that there's that kind of a market for him next summer um yeah that's a gary harris contract didn't help very much (laughs) yeah that, yeah. that I think that poisoned the idea of them getting an extension done. And Ainge, Ainge came in apparently, based on what they've been saying publicly, came in with a number really late because I think he just wanted to try to set the he wanted the negotiations to start as late as possible so that there wasn't a ton of room for them or at least a, a lot of time for them to negotiate to a higher market. But unless they're willing to settle, unless Marcus decide is willing to settle for like fourteen million or something like that, I don't really see this getting done. 
if they offer him 14 million number one that's an insane amount for them to offer at number two if he doesn't take it he's completely insane if if they, really yes See, I, oh absolutely i think he thinks he can i think he thinks he can get 20 million next oh year. well he may think that but that's that's yeah. totally wrong who's gonna pay him 20 million dollars like he he i mean he i don't think not, the market will be there he's either. not a like hasn't demonstrated that he's a starter in the league like and i don't know exactly how he gets to being a starter unless i mean i, I okay yeah his jump shot looks better i mean there's some room for optimism there maybe but he's a career you know like 29 percent three-point shooter and he couldn't shoot at oklahoma state so it's really difficult for me to see how you project him to being you know i mean if he if he maybe became you know a 36 37 percent three-point shooter then yeah he might be worth you know starter money which would be like 16 17 million a year you know if that happens which i doubt because his defense is fabulous and he has more versatility than just about anybody in the league uh unless you get up to like a dream on green type but aside from that yeah I, I mean i really i don't get it at all i mean like what i mean he's not a starting player like how how are you paying him over 14 million a year or over 11 million a year if he's not a starter that's an interesting i mean because well his teammate kelly olenic just got 15 right and it was it's not even clear if no he's that was four starter, four so. for 50 was it oh it was four for 50 yeah. so okay it's a little bit less yeah so but i think he's looking at that deal and he's thinking like i should be getting a good a good chunk more than that and he's looking at the harris deal and he's thinking i think i'm as good as gary harris so yeah um, and, but, and he actually might be as good as, as gary harris potentially but you know harris probably, got paid too i think much he too. can be this year yeah so I mean, but I they're mean, very Boston, different players too i mean like marcus i mean you, you don't yeah you so. don't have to guard him right now you know i mean it's just when you have that big of a weakness you know you can't be getting like starter money like there's just there's no way and based on what i've seen so far from him this year based on what they can do and the profile he'll have i think unless he's getting something substantial like that and closer to 20 i say why sign the extension if you if he believes in himself and he's a player so he's always going to be overconfident himself that he should he should not take an extension right now and he should play out the season and while the market might there might not be enough cap space in the market for him to even get an offer sheet that he would want but if he if he plays like he's playing right now he's gonna he's definitely gonna be worth that money um to yeah. at least another team frankly boston i don't think he is because if they sign him to a deal close to what gary harris got i mean they're they're paying a shitload of uh, luxury tax once they sign Kyrie to his mega deal assuming that actually happens yeah. and they're playing they're paying that for a guy who's their you know fourth or fifth best player and they're killing their flexibility in the future although i'm not sure how much flexibility matters versus keeping smart who obviously is better than whatever kind of player you're going to try to add in the future via your exceptions so you know they, they should keep them but if they're if he's if he's getting 20 plus million and then you add on the tax implications for that i mean he's getting paid probably more than he's worth and yeah. i don't know if they're going to be willing to do it with tatum and brown on board right i mean yeah that's another question is just do they even have the minutes for him with all these other guys that they have investments in and so even if he in theory, i mean let me tell you this the best offer that they had for him was a second round pick right like i mean i think we all know that so when they were yeah. i mean they were trying to move his salary they had to dump some one if you aren't worth if he's that level of player like a 16 million dollar year player or a 20 million dollar year player i think someone probably would have given up a first rounder for him if you're really worth that much but you're but he's not you know i mean he, he's not a starting caliber player right now um he definitely helps you win he's a good player but it's not you know i mean and and i would be very hard pressed to find 
where the offer for more than the mid-level exception is going to come for him um but that's probably we're getting a little far afield there in terms in terms of him but he is a, an interesting polarizing player i mean i think i probably appreciate him more than a lot of people do and i still think that you know anywhere close to starter money from him is pretty nice now if he either becomes that really good shooter or if he could become you know maybe like the like 25th best offensive point guard in the league and then you throw his defense in and he becomes a starting caliber point guard then it is much different but you know he hasn't really shown that he can get there either especially just you know due to some of those limitations you mentioned getting to the basket yeah i mean i'll just say as far as the perception of him the you know, the tony allen comparison gets thrown a lot around a lot as a slight to his offense and someone who covers him uh and has watched playing of tony allen in my life he's a much better offensive player than tony allen is no i agree has been at least i agree with that prime so i think that's where the big difference is yeah. and that's where people and then again i don't think i've ever heard someone whose opinion i think is remarkable ever make that allen comparison but i've heard it yeah. plenty of time at well, least uh, players, and so. tony allen no. you know ever, never made more than five million a year in his career you know I mean, or, or is it really that little yeah Jeez. i mean he, i think he got mid-level exception type of money you know maybe he was like, like six million but that was i think that's only re- really one of the only major contracts that he ever ever got um Okay, let's uh, let's. What do you think they, the crunch time lineup is going to be for this team? Oh God, I mean, <laughs> I have no hey, Hayward, that. Kyrie, it's, and Horford are out there for sure, right? I could I could imagine. Yeah. So then it's I think it'll usually be a mix and match of Smart, Brown, and then apparently Tatum at this point. So um, I mean, it's always let's let's say just based on what they did in the past with Smart, I'm assuming well, you have to throw Marcus least, Morris in the into that mix too, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. So that's where I was about to go to. So yeah, so it's like it has Smart's going to be in that finishing line up and then i think brown will be a lot of the time and then one of those two guys will be pulled out for morris a decent amount if they need more power um especially because i don't know how much they're going to be switching in the um, final few minutes depending on who they're playing i think that will change a lot more based on matchup but i think it's kind of the same theory for the most part as what stevens is going with with the uh, starting lineup is that there's no at this point there is no clear answer there's no clear five best guy lineup on this team like they have I mean, I think Smart's their fourth best player right now, but if they're not starting him for whichever reason uh, it is right now, probably cause, just because they like what they can do defensively between Tatum and uh, Brown and Hayward. But, you know, like those four guys are their best players. And then between Brown, Tatum, Morris, you know, it's really just whomever fits best at that moment, I think. Yeah, and whoever is playing best in that game, although I have railed against, of course, the idea that that should be a, a huge factor if the guy just happens to hit a few shots or whatever um but and, and stevens doesn't do that usually yeah. he usually goes away doesn't worry about the hot hands well let's say they're playing against the Cavs, right i mean that's that's their number one rival of course does that change things if they say hey we need someone to guard lebron i mean i think of all the guys like is gordon hayward gonna take on that assignment or do you think they might then go with marcus morris as the guy who has the best chance of slowing down lebron i mean i don't really like any of those guys particularly i don't think any of those guys can be as good as jay crowder was last year not that crowder came even close to shutting him down yeah see the funny thing is like crowder had a bit of a or i mean how do i say this right he didn't have as good of a defensive year as he did the year before that yeah there's a few reasons for that but between conditioning and he had a much increased offensive role as well um but he he got killed by lebron in the conference finals i mean lebron was just was mad he was mad adoring lebron it was it was shockingly easy for lebron to get around him uh so you know they don't have a clear answer for who's a one-on-one matchup i think what's good is that they have like four or five guys 
that they can put on LeBron. There may not be someone who's clearly the best out of everyone, but every, you know, Hayward, Brown, Morris, and Smart, they know can all be put on LeBron. Tatum might have to. He'll probably get killed, but you know, they might have to throw him on there. Ojale, they could even throw in there. And, and I mean, Ojale obviously physically matches yeah, up pretty I, decently. I mean, I'll LeBron. tell you what. If I – it's one of these early season games, I would just give Ojale a chance and just see what happens. Like, I, I think I would – I think they should on opening night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's – worst case scenario is he just draws a couple fouls. I mean, LeBron's going to get to the free throw line 12 times anyway. It doesn't make a difference uh, who it is. But, I mean, you might as well try to see if it works. I, I think Ojale is going to do a pretty good job on them. I mean, he's one of the few guys that can't be – you know, that LeBron can't dig his shoulder into and send him into the first row when yeah. he's driving. I mean, Ojale is going to hold up really well against them. We'll see. I mean, I, I – He's got good enough footwork. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said that about guys with LeBron before, and he still has been able to just knock him out of the way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, it's certainly just looking at the guy. I mean, the guy is built like a defensive end. So uh, I, I would give that a shot and see whether it would work. I mean, also just the smarts and the technique, you know, he's going to be lacking there as well. But it'd be interested to see. And he's not going to get any respect from the refs, obviously, either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's going to be a problem. Yeah. But, but technique wise, though, he's actually good. All the things we we're saying about Jalen Brown needing to learn leverage and all that stuff. Ojale, from what I've seen, is actually pretty good at that. He's He kind of defends like a bigger version of Marcus Smart, basically. So, um, although he doesn't nearly have that tenacity. But um, I, I hope that they experiment with it because it'll be great fodder for for us early on. Um, and I, I think I think Tuesday night, you're going to see a lot of experimentation because Stevens doesn't really know what he has at this point. They don't, they haven't had much time to you know work everything together and there's just been so much change. So I think you should look at that game as more of an experimentation against LeBron rather than, you know, trying to win it with an eight-man rotation. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. Uh, Tuesday is going to be awesome. Um, what do you see as the big strengths of this team? Um, the fact that they can put out lineups where every single player on the floor can be a scorer or playmaker. I mean, that's that's been kind of the that's been the goal with their with everything that they've done is to put put together lineups like that and try to be one of the few teams really in the league or really ever that's been able to pull it off. So the fact that they're going with it early on opening night, which is something I couldn't I didn't predict could happen. I'm kind of sh- I'm still shocked that Tatum's going to be starting to open the season, but it'll be really fascinating to see if every single one of these guys can get into pick and roll actions every one of these guys can drive to the hoop and pass or finish and they that's what that's what they really want to do is just have a deep an offensive system that the ball is just constantly circling and the defense is completely stretched out um and they don't know how to rotate on the interior because they don't know who's going to be able to drive versus who's going to be able to pass out of a drive so i mean i'm mostly just interested to see them run an offensive system that we barely see in the league at all so that'll be interesting um I'm one of the, I guess, one of the things that I'm skeptical about is so, so far, you know, they took, they were third in the league last year in the amount of three point, the percentage of their attempts that were threes and the percentage of their points that were threes. And then so far in the preseason, they are 16th, small sample size again, of course, but they're 16th in the league in percent of fugal attempts from downtown. Ironically, they're still six in the league in points from downtown. So they're hitting their shots. But that I think one of the things that I'm really curious about is how much of their principles that they stuck to to the past, which obviously they did not invent the idea that a three is more valuable than a two. It's like, you know, it's it's a league-wide movement. So right now they're kind of going away from that because of a lot of the guys that they've added on that isn't a part of their game. So I'm most interested in seeing how this lineup that they have, where they have Kyrie and Tatum, who t- 
take most of their shots from 20 feet out or so, how much they're going to adapt to fitting those philosophies. And then if they do adapt, how good can they be? Because they could be, I mean, Tatum's not, I mean, it'll take Tatum and Brown a couple of years for them to be good offensive players, assuming they will be. But they could have, I mean, they could have five all-star caliber offensive players on the floor in within a year or two, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, their one-on-one offense, I think, is a strength. They've got guys who can post up against smaller matchups. Kyrie, obviously, can torch people as well. Horford can get in the post against a, a smaller matchup. I mean, I think if they didn't have Horford, I would be concerned about this team's shooting i think with him spacing the floor and working at the elbows that you can make it work even if you know tatum and brown marcus smart aren't quite ready marcus morris is more of just a you know not really a high volume guy from three and maybe some of those guys will change to focus on on being spot up shooters a, a little bit more than they had um another strength you'd have to say is just their overall versatility and switchability on d um with just they have so many wings that are reasonable players smart falls into that category too so I, I think you would have to look at that um any other strengths before we get to uh, potential weaknesses yeah i mean just just on that too i'm excited to see them run a lineup where everybody's six foot eight yeah. or six foot nine uh where they have hayward running the ball that's like tatum brown morris and horford and they switch every single thing and they have i mean that that's going to be fascinating to see so they're i mean they're just their whole thing has always been versatility is their most important word and they're going for it at to a degree which almost nobody in the league has pulled off so far. So that that is going to be, I mean, the difference for them this year, which it's going to take a while compared to last year, is they've always had great versatility. I think they have it at a newer level now, but they have guys that can actually execute and actually create and pull things off on their own, as opposed to a bunch of guys that can spot up and then they can't do much else. So I think that's the big, the big upgrade for them, even if it's going to take them probably the entire year to figure it out, is that they can run these lineups where every single guy on the floor could be a good score and every guy on the floor can be a good versatile defender yeah and i think that speaks to their depth which is another strength and then coaching i think you would have to point to as well brad stevens I think has generally gotten more out of his teams than their talent would have suggested. And it remains to be seen if he can find good uses for all of these guys. Um, one weakness is I'll start pointing out. I mean, we have a number of them um, is I don't know that they're going to get to the free throw line that much. I don't think they have anyone on the team that is good at drawing free throws right now. Um, I mean, maybe Hayward to a degree. Kyrie doesn't do it very often. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was the thing that Isaiah did for them. That was huge. Cause I mean, a big thing for them, was that Isaiah got them so many breaks during the during the game because he got to the free throw line so much and that was great for just keeping keeping their conditioning in check um but yeah I don't I don't know there's not a guy in the core rotation right now that I think like if you need him to get to the line and just get the just get the play at in the towards the end of the game um and finish no matter what I mean Kyrie obviously is one of the elite one-on-one scorers but I don't expect him to be getting to the line very often and I mean, like Hor- Horford is an elite playmaker, but you saw in the playoffs last year when they tried to go to him as a scorer because they just need- needed him once in a while. He was able to do it a little bit, but not a ton. And I think that was a big part of being able to add Hayward to 
you know, at least originally Isaiah and then now Kyrie, was that they just needed someone else to take the burden off of the point guard to just get it done in ISO situations or just when they needed to run a play for someone to create in a tough situation. And like they finally have that, but they don't they don't have anyone that like I know can like Isaiah could could just attack the paint and you know was either going to get to the line or going to hit the shot and it was like a guarantee that if they could get into the paint that they were going to make something happen. So that might come to bite them later in the year, but they're in a better position now than they were last year either way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And you just, you wonder if they're not going to get to the foul line a ton and they may not be a great three-point shooting team. They have all this talent, but you do wonder if maybe, you know, they might not be as efficient as you hope just because if you're not filling it up from either of those two areas, you really, and I think they will be an excellent field goal shooting team uh, with Hayward and with Kyrie, uh, Horford really helps out with the spacing there as well. But, um, and then I think another one is just experience too. I mean, it, whether uh, it's Kyrie as the number one guy on a team, you know, he's failed in that role so far. Hayward only been in the playoffs once. Um, you know, Horford is, is a good leader, character guy. And then you're really relying on uh, Brown and Tatum to. Uh, I mean, and you just, what guys are that young, you don't want to be relying on them as major pieces. I mean, I guess if you were going to say, all right, you know, Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart, those are going to be really the main guys they rely on. And if, you know, Brown and Tatum are more luxuries, then that's okay. But, you know, they are going to need some production from those guys. Yeah, I mean, consistency is going to be an issue with Tatum and Brown and and Rogier as well, who I feel like we haven't really, we've only scratched the surface on him so far. But yeah, um, yeah that's, gonna, that's, where, that's where Morris, I think, eventually gets into the starting lineup it's just simply that you know you know what you're going to get out of him and so far it's been mostly posting up smaller players and hitting 20 foot fadeaways which is very impressive but i don't think it's a very sustainable offensive model um but yeah i mean that the sh- going back to that shot distribution thing where they're not taking nearly as many threes uh or at least a percentage of their shots being threes is i mean the whole point of that and getting to the line is to maximize your points per possession and maximize your efficiency over the course of the game and if they're not doing that with this team then they're going to get desperate later in the games and then that's when you devolve to more isolation from Kyrie. I don't know Kyrie well enough yet to understand how his decision making is going to be where the team is down by 15. And is he going to start just trying to take guys one on one? I mean, Isaiah did that kind of stuff, but he did it within the flow of the offense. I don't know how Kyrie is going to do it within the flow of the offense. And I think it's just something that they're all going to have to learn. And then, of course, the question will also be how much does he try to basically like take away the usage from Hayward when they're when they're in more when, you know, when they're in catch up mode and stuff like that so the yin and yang between utilizing horford hayward and Kyrie is going to be something they have to find a balance for um but yeah i mean they they at least have i think smart is looking good enough now that they should have at least five offensive players when you include morris that are like guys that you know are veteran enough that you can count on them throughout the so that's better than what they had at least in the past yeah i think so and it could be that the shooting just works out you know i mean hayward Kyrie, like those guys have been 40 percent three-point shooters in their careers a pretty high volume how much they're going to be comfortable spotting up you're not sure you know but because they don't view themselves as spot up guys and even Marcus Morris too I mean I think he's a guy who can hit shots when he's open he's had to take maybe some more difficult attempts when he was in Detroit Horford another guy too so maybe the three-point shooting will be better than I was speculating it might be but they also have some guys I don't expect Tatum to shoot well on threes this year Brown eh you know it maybe he'll hit sub maybe he won't he shot 34 percent last year I wouldn't expect 
expect him to exceed that this year necessarily um and, and then smart you know has his own issues terry rozier an improving shooter but again not someone you look like look at as necessarily a plus shooter either um i think depth at center is another big potential problem i think if horford misses time they could be in big trouble and they hurt last year when he when he was out um i mean he's he is so fundamental to their offense that like their offense doesn't work without him there um and yeah if he's out they're either starting morris or baines there and that's i mean you're basically it's basically uh pick your poison there would you rather be better offensively or defensively between the two of those guys so yeah they i mean they signed uh daniel chafu from the wizards after he was cut but uh they're they're going to cut him and then send him to the d league so that that 15th roster spot is going to be open and ochefu is a 611 center so they're not keeping him they're going to put him down in the d league who knows maybe he'll get a chance to get back up there but i think they probably should have another guy that they're comfortable with at least defensively as an interior defender at that last roster spot but i guess they're going to wait to see who becomes available or maybe they'll make another trade at some point and take on more players but they i mean just rebounding depth itself they don't have a lot of that i mean now they have a bunch of really good rebounding wings which helps mitigate the fact that Horford isn't very effective on the glass and Baines is an okay defender um but they you know they they don't have that power guy that matches up well besides Baines I guess in the interior with uh with most teams bigs so if Horford gets hurt yeah they're really gonna hurt there yeah now at least their competition in the east is looking like they're not as into you know Tristan Thompson's role is going to be minimized a little bit this year it seems like he killed them in that series on on the offensive glass uh, among many other things that killed them of course in that series but yeah Horford I mean Marcus Morris not really a great rebounder either you know he he played next to Drummond so maybe he felt like he didn't need to as much but yeah I mean if you're gonna look at really the only guy that looks to me like a plus rebounder for his position right now Tatum certainly is you know he's but he'll have to prove it statistically but just on film he looks good but yeah it's really Baines and Tatum are the only guy you look at is like oh these guys are good rebounders for their position right now I mean I know Brown is big for a two guard but you know he's never been a guy who's been fantastic on the glass yeah he's he's good at he can get position if he's the only guy down there already and he's on the block and get the board but he's not gonna he's not he's not, he's not changing the equation for them rebounding wise I, mean, I think Hayward's pretty good he's he's put up pretty good numbers for a three uh on the glass and then obviously their guards between smart and rozier are great rebounders for their position but yeah rozier um, yeah i forgot about him he's awesome smart actually his rebounding numbers are not as good as you think they're because he flies in for these spectacular rebounds a lot and he plays really hard but he hasn't actually been that good on the, on the glass in terms of his rebound rate as i recall i would say his, his rebound rate isn't that great but he he gets the he's like the playmaking rebound yeah which you know you're gonna need some balance there he when they need him to make a play he does it it's I, I, I'm sure there is some sort of contextualized stat for pulling off a certain play when the team clearly needs it, and he would be towards the top of the league in those kind of plays. Yeah. He just he get he gets a loose ball, he gets a rebound whenever they need him to. It's smart, smart. It's very hard to quantify Smart's impact. It's it's why he's so pull. I mean, he's one of the most polarizing players in the league from a value perspective because you just you watch him and you're just like, holy crap, he really does make so many plays. But then you look at the numbers and you're like, holy crap, he seems really mediocre on paper. <laughs> All right, let's uh, do our predictions here. I'm gonna get started the over under for this team was do you have to remember it offhand or do i need to look it up 56 it was originally 56 and a half and they moved it down to 54 and a half after the world said that's the dumbest actually the sixers were the worst but uh it's i think it's now at 54 and a half okay i still would comfortably go under that um i'm gonna say oh man i'm gonna go with 52 wins for this group um the price is right you there i'm at 51 so 
No. <laughs> I said 52 last year, and I need to regress my prediction because I don't think they'll be as good in the regular season. So I've been, 51's the number I've been using since the Kyrie trade. So, um, and they don't, frankly, the, I don't think the, the organization doesn't think they're going to win quite as many games as last year because it's going to, it's going to take them a while to figure this thing out. So they'll be, I think they'll be really good by March and April, although we'll see what happens at the deadline and whether they have to build up from that. But I think the first couple of months are going to, they're going to be just over 500 probably. Yeah. And important to remember that last year's expected one loss, only 48 and 34. They had all those Isaiah heroics at the end of games bumped them up. And I think they overperformed their point differential more than any team of, of five wins to get to that 53 and 29 and number one seed in the East a, a year ago. So, I mean, I'm picking them to be four wins better than last year. And I just, yeah, I, I'm even a little skeptical about that. To be honest. I mean, if you look at like some of the RPM based projections have them like in the forties. And so I, I'm probably giving Kyrie Irving in particular more benefit of the doubt uh, than some of those advanced stats would that he really can be a player who contributes to winning more than what has been sh- he's been shown to do in the regular season so far. Yeah, well, it's I mean, just doing comparative projections for this team is like almost impossible because, well, for one, as far as RPM is concerned, they got rid of Jay Crowder and Amir Johnson, who are like two of RPM's favorite, right. or I guess, I don't know, yeah. overrated, but and, like and they're, they were they're major RPM I darlings. I think they were overrated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Jay Crowder has been impressively overrated recently. As much as I love Jay as a person, as a player, I've, I'm seeing him ranked ahead of Isaiah in a lot of these uh, player rankings by a lot of the publications, which is blowing me away. But um, but people love to rely on RPM, I guess, for those projections. Um, but they... Uh, where is it going with this? They, you know, their their team is, they're going to be just like kind of all over the place early on. And I think that's part of why the projections are a little messy on them right now is that they're putting Kyrie into a totally new role, which, I mean, there's going to be a lot of similarities, but he's going to be in a totally different system. He's going to be the one in control for the most part. I mean, him, him playing off of Hayward has a lot of similarities to LeBron because Hayward has like a lot of a well-rounded skill set like LeBron does, just obviously not at that same uh, output level and capability but I mean he's going to have some similarities to what he was doing but playing with Al Horford now and in the system they're playing in now I mean, he's going to be utilized in ways that he's never been utilized before like I expect him to dribble a lot less in Boston than he was dribbling in Cleveland he's not going to ball pound here they're probably going to use him off the ball a lot more than they were using him in Cleveland so I mean I just I wouldn't look at the past too much to project how he's going to perform later in the year once they've really figured out how to build a system around him right now I think he's playing really similarly to how he's playing in Cleveland so which is why I think they're probably not going to be that good because frankly I don't think that's a very efficient and effective player we haven't talked about this too much do you think their defense is going to be better or worse than last year last year they were 13th I would argue that they have worse defensive personnel this year in the aggregate I definitely agree with that but this defensive system that they might be able to pull off this year could be a lot more effective yeah because they didn't really switch very much last year they were hey Avery Bradley we're gonna you're not gonna switch every you're just going to get over every screen marcus same thing yeah but they did in the playoffs a lot more um and and i I think the important thing is the team they have now is a team that they want for the playoffs all the you know the the things that they're trying to install the lineups that they're using they're trying to they're i think they're probably just going to basically make this whole regular season as a dry run for becoming the team that they evolve into when they come to the playoffs because i mean you know they they went to shooting all threes once they got to the playoffs i mean they were shooting over 40 threes a game which was you know they were breaking all sorts of team records although Houston and Gold State and Cleveland are doing that too, so they're not unique in that manner. But they... 
I think they're just, they want to permanently embed the stuff that they changed to in the playoffs, which of course is exciting because I can't wait to see what they do when they actually get to the playoffs and they actually make some more substantial changes. But they, uh, a big part of it is, you know, Kyrie, the whole, like, I haven't seen a ton of him defending screens in the past. Everyone says he dies on screens and it's like, it's so true. And it's, it's awful. It's so, every it's single, so irritating to watch. You might as well switch because every single sw- screen involving Kyrie is going to be a switch whether you want it to be or not. Yeah, and so that's where – wow, that's that's both really funny and really accurate. And <laughs> they, um, it's, it's it's funny. They I was watching tape this morning. I think it was against Charlotte. And, someone, and they called ice on a side pick and roll. And Kyrie just like – you know, when you ice, you're supposed – the point guard is supposed to jump over the pick setter yeah. and just kind of force the point guard against the sideline. He just like – I guess he heard ice and he's like all right i'm just gonna chill and he just like stopped and just like watched the play and it was effectively a switch and um i can't even remember what happened on the play but i was so distracted by just watching him on the ice he just kind of like it was he just kind of went over the pick like it was a normal hedge pick and rolls uh, defense and he was just kind of like just ducking down trying to turn over the pick he wasn't really icing and i assume he obviously knows a difference because if i know it i'm pretty sure he knows it but he doesn't put it into practice and he said he is opening presser he made jokes about how he knows he has to play two ways and he's going to be committed to it and i think he's shown some effort on defense and he's been flying to the rim for rebounds he's been trying to block shots and stuff like that so he's showing effort but obviously when you're a point guard your defensive role is to just call the pick and roll defense early just do what you got to do in the pick and roll defense and just try to stay ready on the ball and like you don't need to crash your rebounds or try to block shots it's like for you it's all about just being consistent and just making sure that the system stays in place so that everyone else isn't scrambling trying to cover for you which is what Rajon Rondo started doing for years once he became an elite defender then he stopped playing defense and he actually you want to see the worst pick and roll defense of all time watch Rajon Rondo in his last two seasons in Boston that was the worst oh no it was just as Um, bad uh once he went to his other stops too but and during during the season last year with Chicago he was better in the playoffs but yeah and Kyrie also sucks on switches in the post he really just you know he doesn't stand up hard he's kind of wusses out there as well just doesn't want to foul so yeah. I mean, so they were 13th last year in defense. You think they're going to be worse? I think they'll be right around yeah, there. And, and, and Horford 15th, could take so a step worse. back too, right? I mean, he's he's in his early 30s. Yeah. I mean, they're very very reliant on on his abilities. If he slows down, you know, it's going to be tough. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's he's a pretty plodding guy. I mean, like he he moves very nimbly, but he's not fast, and he's he takes big deliberate steps, but he's very light on his feet. So. I think he'll be a pretty good pick and roll defender into his mid thirties, yeah. which is, I guess, over the next three years or so. And adding Hayward really helps in this department because at least Hayward is versatile enough that he can he can pick up guys in the post, um, and he's you know, decent at it. He had experience doing it last year when he was playing the four a lot next to Rudy. Um, but obviously, he doesn't he can't funnel guys into Rudy. You know, and yeah. Really, on this this defensive scheme, Horford usually was funneling guys either to the corners or was funneling them into Amir Johnson, who was a very good verticality defender and was a good rotation defender um you know he wasn't good one-on-one and stuff like that but he was really good at rotating into the pivot and going vertical on guys yeah. and they don't you know they have baines who i think is pretty solid at it but baines is you know he can't get up there enough to really affect passes but he's really good at at least just getting in front of guys
guys, but they don't, that was one of the things that they lost. I mean, obviously in the playoffs, they didn't play Amir anymore. So it's like, that's something they're clearly willing to sacrifice. Um, But it's still something that's pretty important and they're not going to be switching against every single team. So there's going to be nights where their defensive scheme doesn't work nearly as well. Not a ton of rim protection on this team. So yeah, I mean, I think if I had to pick, and I think I actually think in the regular season, Kyrie is going to be worse Everyone complained about Isaiah's defense, but I thought Isaiah at least tried last year, right? Would you say that's accurate? I I like I liked everything about what Isaiah did last year. It's like he he fought hard on screens. He's good at fighting over screens. Um, he just you know he can get pushed out of the play really easily. Um, so you know when when any whenever anyone would set a moving screen, they could take him out easily. Um, and he gets a lot of attention for being a bad defender because when they would pick on him and switch onto him like Otto Porter did in those semis, um, you know he didn't stand a chance because they'd be posting him up and he's literally a foot shorter, so he couldn't do anything about it. Um, and you know a lot was made of of how bad their defensive rating was with him, especially in the fourth quarter. But the eye test would tell you that they were definitely better off with him on the floor from a net perspective, and they were fine from a defensive perspective. And he, while he's, his shortcomings, pun intended, came in the play a, a decent amount, I think he overcame them and worked harder more than most defensive point guards do in the league. So he's still towards the bottom of the pack, but I think Kyrie is significantly worse as a defender. Yeah, and maybe in the playoffs that's not the case because just Kyrie is a little more size, and when he really gives the effort, he can be better. But yeah, I think on a game-to-game regular season basis, I think Isaiah is no no worse than Kyrie at a minimum. And so with Kyrie out there and the rookies who have some tools but are rookies and make mistakes, and then I don't think Baines is really much good defensively. I mean, he, he knows where where to be, but he's very limited physically. Um, you know, I think they could be worse uh, on defense this year. And with that being the case, they were eighth in offense last year. Their big problem, though, was that they couldn't score with Isaiah off the floor. Now, at least their bench units will be much better uh, offensively. Would you say they're going to exceed that eighth in offense? Because I mean, if you're saying, and it sounds like you're in agreement with me, that they might be worse defensively, they're going to be worse defensively. They're going to have to be way better offensively to get to you know if they if they're at expected one loss 48 and 34 they got to get better in the aggregate between offense and defense so i would say i would say like so there's two there's two ways to look at this it's their overall numbers for the year and then who are they towards the end of the year coming to the playoffs i think over the course of the year they're going to struggle early on although their offense has been looking pretty solid against these preseason teams so like i think their offense will be okay their defense will probably struggle eventually they'll be really good I wouldn't be surprised if they finish eighth again overall for the year, but I think they'll be a top three or four offense by the time the playoffs are coming around if this thing really gels because they are able they're just they're they're versatile and dynamic in a way that that almost no one else in the league is except for obviously Golden State. So um, and we'll see if Isaiah gets healthy and Cleveland can do that too. But I mean they just if this offense works in theory the way we've been describing it, they're going to have an, an absolutely unstoppable offense where it doesn't matter if one of your stars is having a bad night because you have so many guys that can pick up the slack so they'll they'll be not maybe not quite in the stratosphere that houston and golden state were last year and i guess cleveland has but they'll be i think they'll be right there on that tier just below them yeah i'd say houston golden state cleveland and probably denver actually i would pick to, to be ahead really? of them and maybe even okc depending on on what happens with them um uh, but yeah, other than those teams, you know, and I'd say maybe they're in there with OKC. I mean, Denver was the number one offense in the league after Jokic went into the starting lineup last year. So I think that is true. They, yeah. uh, and now they added Paul Millsap. Right. So, so um, uh, 
and OKC and Cleveland, I think both, you know, it depends what lineups they play. And, you know, if OKC is going to play a ton or if Cleveland's going to play a ton of Wade and Rose together, then maybe it won't be a, as good as we think. But yeah, so I mean, I th- if I had to predict, you know, I'm thinking this team is like 15th best defense, fifth, sixth best offense, something like that. Um, so, you know what? I think I'm actually going to downgrade my prediction a little bit uh, to 50 wins. So I, I'm going to price this right you now, actually. Oh, wow. uh, I mean, you're welcome to change yours too if you want. So we'll end up with them each having zero wins each of us having zero wins for by the end of this um but right, let, let, i'll say negative yeah, one wins. yeah uh so my best case scenario for these guys though is 60 like i think they could it's possible they could figure it out maybe the switching just works so well that they deny penetration brown and tatum really come through and become quality players you know they are drafted pretty high um and, and they have a lot of talent so I could see this team getting to 60. I don't, I think that is uh, less likely than them disappointing a little bit, but I, they do have a very high ceiling with this group. Yeah, yeah, 60 doesn't sound crazy when you say it. I'll, I'll price this right you again, so I'll say 59. <laughs> I'll say 58, just to be a little more reasonable. All but right. they, yeah, they, it's like if, if everything clicks in October or November, then they'll be, I think they'll be good enough for long enough that they can, they can, they can get to the high 50s, low 60s even. And they, they have the depth, I think they have the depth if their rookies are competent enough that they can avoid, they can sustain an injury or two, which happens. They've, I mean, I, don't, I, I haven't really compared it to the rest of the league but they lose core rotation players every single month they've had the they've had a really bad track record of that um and they're they can sustain they they can survive that a lot more effectively this year than they could in the past uh all right i'm gonna let you go first here on on what you think your worst case scenario is you know no season ending injuries necessarily but just you know things don't go as well as planned maybe there's some guys who miss 20 games or something like that yeah i mean like 46 wins i guess if Ah, i had 45 which i wrote down before this actually (laughs) so uh no changes really i almost said 45 just now but i like i like even numbers so i rounded up to 46 (laughs) um but which is you can see how objective this analysis is but you know the point being they're a mid-40s team if they just can't figure out the synergy between Kyrie and hayward and they're stuck in this turn-taking system where it's like all right you play off of al horford now you play off alford so and then of course if tatum and brown just don't have offensive composure if smart's really good all-around play right now turns out to be a flash in the pan and he starts becoming inconsistent or gets hurt again um the terry rogier the third uh which he is the third by the way if he if he just continues to be the super erratic player that's very inconsistent and just keeps trying to throw lobs to nobody which has become his new mo where he keeps trying to throw lob alley-oops at people and he just misses incomprehensibly bad um and then all their rookies are just shell-shocked then or shell-shocked is a strong word but like you know none of those guys are consistently productive sure. rotation players then yeah the, and they get bit by the injury bug which they seem to every year i can see this team falling down into the mid 40s uh how far do they get in the playoffs i think i i expect them to do the same thing they did last year it would be a lot more competitive against cleveland uh they're still i think cleveland with isaiah healthy or at least just good in the playoffs not necessarily the level he was last year they're still a, a clear step above boston but they're good i think they get to the conference finals this year and they don't go down by 45 points at any point in the series which is not saying much but they <laughs> i think they could take they could take them six games i mean it's like 
the the gap between those two teams last year. I mean, I thought they would get beat pretty badly. It was unbelievable. But it was unbelievable. Like I've never, I'm, I've never seen anything like that before. I can't think of anything. Well, like I guess it, it wasn't was unbelievable because I most... picked that to be a sweep actually, and, and it should have been a I sweep. I think I picked it in five. Yeah, and it should have been a yeah, sweep. And Danny, Danny won it by picking in five because of that preposterous comeback in, in the game three with with Isaiah out that they had. But... Jonas Jonas Jerebko's greatest game of his career. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Well, smart um, too. It was it was unbelievable it was, in that game. Yeah, and Avery hitting that that bouncing three. It was incredible. Which is funny because almost well, Smart's still there, but it's amazing to think that those guys aren't there anymore. It's the this team. Their identity is just nothing like that team last year. Which hopefully for them will be beneficial in that they don't get absolutely humiliated in the conference finals. But you know, I mean. I think they the, the way that they lost at conference finals was a wake up call for the franchise, and they're like, we need to get super aggressive. The guys that we have here have a pretty clear ceiling, and we need to we need to do something big. And they went way beyond that. They did something ap- like pretty much incomprehensible, training for Kyrie and everything else that they did this off season. Um, but I think they I think they made their ceiling a lot higher in the long run, and they could get to it. They're not going to get to it all the way this year, but they're going to take a. Pr- I think they could take a pretty big leap forward to it this year, and that looks like going up against a fully South Cleveland team and just at least being able to take them six and make it competitive and at least make every single game a contest as opposed to showing up for one game when your back is against the wall. Yeah, and I I didn't care for the trade. I My biggest reason, uh, I didn't care for the draft pick trade either. I thought that Fultz had superstar potential and it, it looks like he's going to struggle. We're going to talk to Derek Bonner about that very shortly here, but uh, to really get the scoop on where he's at after this preseason. But, um, you know, I, I didn't like that as much i thought they lowered their ceiling there and then you know it seemed like too much to give up in the Kyrie trade but you know those uh, we'll see i mean if, if he ends up playing as well up to his potential then that trade maybe does work out and uh no, he apparently wants to be there. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate you sticking around this long. And uh, this is one of the longer previews we've had. Uh, where can everyone follow your work? Uh, you can find me, Jared Weiss NBA on Twitter. And the Celtics Wire is our uh, the Twitter handle for the website. And then the website is CelticsWire.com. And then I also appear on the Garden Report postgame show on CLNS Media Network. All right, man. Stay tuned for Derek Bodner. Talk about the Sixers right after this. So as I mentioned, my now fiance and I are moving into a new place at the end of this month. And yeah, budget's going to be a little bit tighter now because we actually are owning a home in the Bay Area. But that means we're going to stay in and cook more and do it with Blue Apron. This October, they're celebrating their fifth anniversary by bringing back its top 20 recipes from throughout the past five years as picked by you, the Blue Apron community. You can try out their Blue Apron all-time customer favorites by going to blueapron.com slash capspace. This is one of those ones where I think just go to the website and take a look at it and you'll see that some of the recipes are just really beautiful meals and they now even are offering even quicker meals at certain times as well and each one of them can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. It's a food delivery service that comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and perfectly pre-portioned ingredients so there's no food waste. Less than $10 per person per meal, way less expensive than it would be to go out, way less expensive than it would be to buy all these same ingredients and have a bunch of food waste as well at a high-end supermarket. Check out this week's menu. Get $30 off your first meal with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash capspace. That's a new offer now. $30 off your first meal with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash capspace. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. 
Okay, here's Derek now to talk a little bit of Sixers. I scheduled this for the absolute last possible moment before the season started because I wanted to get a read on how all these guys looked, how their health was in the preseason. So joining us now is Derek Bodner of The Athletic. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, how's uh, The Athletic treating you so far? You know, it's it's been it's been really good. Uh, we, you know, a little bit hectic because we just launched the city back in, you know, about a month ago now. So we've been trying to get all that up and running. It was probably the right time of the year to do that because we had a, a couple of weeks before we really had to get in a full swing with regards to Sixers. But I mean, it's great. I've got a great team of writers. I've got Rich Hoffman and Mike O'Connor along with me to uh, to cover the team. And it's, uh, you know, the great thing about the subscription is we get to really kind of appeal to the diehards. And it's, uh, you know, we get to write and cover the team how we feel it needs to be written about and covered so it's been it's been great so far yeah it is and it's good to see I, I really like what the athletic is doing everyone that they bring in are really smart people that i felt should have a voice and it's good especially even when, when it's non-traditional people who didn't you know come up through you know journalism school or whatever but uh let's tap into some of this uh, 76ers knowledge here to start with and where i wanted to start is with markel Fultz. you've been following this i think as close, if not closer than anybody, he's done some weird stuff to his shot now that he has this shoulder injury that might be part of it. Uh, you know, what's the story with him in preseason? Because it sounds like, I mean, just viewing it from afar, that it's gone about as bad as like you could have thought. Yeah, this was of all the things I expected to have to kind of, as a team, the Sixers would have to fight through. This was not one of them that you were expecting. You know, you have a bunch of things, mainly Embiid's health, how much he would be available for preseason, how much really restriction they would have him on. You knew they were going to have to integrate basically two new rookie lead ball handlers into their offense. They'd have to integrate J.J. Redick into their offense. These were all kind of battles you expected to have. But Markel Fultz not only changing his jump shot, but right now, and look, he's only played in two preseason games in a scrimmage, but looking like he's right now flat out afraid to shoot and passing up open shots was not something that we expected going into this. So it's been it's been really strange. You know, in the way basically you saw this new form both free throw and, and in-game action and it was during training camp and he came up and he asked Brett Brown about it and he flat out said look he didn't reach out to us this isn't our doing and we think first of all we think he's trying to fix a problem that didn't need to be fixed and also we're going to work to get him back to where it was and then you saw him do it again in a scrimmage and once again Markel is like you know we're kind of just screwing around with it you know well, eventually I'm going to shoot like you saw me shoot at Washington and then you get into game action now and he's still shooting the same way and then the, the shoulder injury kind of creeps into that and there's now some speculation that that could be causing that even though the experimentation happened before there was any hint or acknowledgement of a shoulder injury and it's all kind of just a weird confluence of events and like I said I think long term I saw enough from Markel shooting at Washington that I think he's going to be okay now that doesn't mean there's not going to be an adjustment to the NBA line I think there will be but I think he's going to eventually figure it out but the fact that he kind of went and made these changes on his own without really consulting with the team and now he's at this point where we just have no idea what we're going to get from him in the early parts of the season and it's a it's a little bit of a surprise yeah i haven't had a chance to break down just exactly how it looks can you just explain real briefly what he's doing differently it's tough because there's been a couple of real different forms he's shown here in the preseason which isn't something you necessarily want you know five days away from the start of no. the regular season <laughs> or whatnot um you know he's had a couple of different free throw forms a lot of it really far out in front of his body and really i guess the way i would describe it is 
is it's almost like the first half of the shot, bringing it up through the shooting motion has been really removed from the process. And it's just, you know, almost entirely that elbow extension forward and wrist. It's it's really a little bit awkward in that regard, but it's changed a couple times. And then in game, to me, the biggest change is, again, it's, it's starting almost halfway through the process and he almost doesn't ha- look like he has a clean 90 degree lock on his elbow. And it's almost extended a little bit farther out than it normally would be. And again, it's very much just a flick of the wrist. And it's it's hard to really explain. And a part of it is that he's only really taken, you know, maybe two or three real jump shots in game action. I think he had, yeah. you know, his first game, he was credited with three three point attempts. That didn't happen. Uh, th- that was back when the NBA was still um, not able to apparently <laughs> keep track of stats during uh, the early part of the new new statistical software that they're rolling out. Uh, he definitely attempted one, but it was kind of like a late clock buzzer beater type attempt. He really hasn't attempted very many jump shots in game action during the, the two games that he's played. Uh, a lot of what we're going on is free throw, but it's, it's just, it's been very inconsistent, very different and very almost like he shortened it up, shortened it up to the point where it's now very mechanical and it's, it's ugly. It's, I, I can't really describe it. You'd have to go find it. It was trending on YouTube for a while. You'll be able to find, you know, yeah. if you search Markel Fultz free throw, just brace yourself. <laughs> well, and, and I talked to someone who saw him warming up at that game that he did play in in Boston and said that his jumper was just all over the place in warmups as well in a way that it wasn't at Washington and this is troublesome because he's not a nuclear athlete he part of why he was so successful at Washington and part of why he charged to the number one pick in a way that maybe people didn't necessarily anticipate was because he hit that jump shot show up so well he was hitting tough contested shooting like a pure jump shot really most of the time too on threes and it shot 41 percent you know and shot very well on long twos and we felt there's a concern maybe if you had to say hey what's what are the two things that concern you the most about him as a prospect one was his defense and the other one was well how real is this shooting he didn't really have a reputation as a shooter and now he's done this weird thing and I'm actually like kind of concerned about it and then I'm also concerned that he just he always seems to have kind of some nagging injuries as well which is not how you want to start off your career yeah well I mean he had he had you know knee pain if you remember back ended his season prematurely at Washington and nobody really thought it was anything long term that was too big to worry about although obviously some some teams probably had more concern than others but it is you know now he has nagging knee soreness and certainly that's not something that you want I think the shoulder is probably temporary although having covered the Sixers now for a couple of years I, I I'm really wary to say that anything is is temporary especially after what happened with Joel last year but yeah he's had some nagging injuries or nagging soreness I guess is probably the way I would describe it in the preseason they're saying that they expect him to be ready for opening night on on wednesday night uh we'll see if that happens again the yeah. sixers track record he's not going to start though it sounds like no yeah it, it's it's a, it's a good question that's not something you go back and you look at the history of number one picks by and large they start you know there might be some kwame brown type players who didn't start but by and large most number one picks uh picks do start especially those who have the kind of you know pedigree that Fultz had and you're right a big part of that was his you know his jump shot while he wasn't he wasn't a pure shooter in high school wasn't even what i would call a pure shooter in college he still had that ability that he could make tough shots and you know whether that is off the catch or that was a very limited sample at Washington because they just had nobody else to really create or off the dribble and that pull-up game was such a big part of his offense and really made that pick and roll threat so tough that it opened up driving lanes for him and now if he's going to try to force everything in the middle every time and he's not willing to take that jump shot he becomes much easier to guard so again we'll see if this is a long-term concern or there's just something where they need to get him back on track you know Brett Brown really hammered home that they want to get him back to where he was 
at Washington, but it is a uh, it is certainly in doubt how much he is going to be able to contribute here day one. Yeah, I have heard, and again, didn't get a chance to watch as much of him in full game action this preseason. That his defense is at least a little better than it had been in Washington. Yeah, he seemed he seemed like he was doing a pretty good job fighting over screens, which was yeah. good to see. All right, well, well, that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, it is. It feels some of the stuff around him. It feels kind of like post-injury Derek Rosey in terms of like the vibe of just kind of weird stuff happening weird quotes not on the same page with the organization and you know I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet I'm usually pretty measured about this stuff I I thought he very easily should have been the number one pick I thought he had superstar potential in college so I'm not ready to go back on that yet but really since he's been drafted it's gone and I thought he had some real nice moments in that one game against the Celtics I think it was a, I can't remember it was the Celtics or the Jazz in summer league. Uh, but it's gone about as badly as, as you could have thought. And yeah, I mean the fact that he's not starting, it's not like you know they have some other awesome options. It's Jared Bayless and it's T.J. McConnell, you know. So it's and I think it's and maybe that's just a, a function of the fact that he hasn't been able to play that much. He's not in the greatest shape or whatever. But um, why don't we move on to, to Ben Simmons now? What have your impressions of him been uh, so far? What can we expect from him this year? You think? Yeah. Well, I mean the the size, the speed, the athleticism the passing that's all been as advertised and i mean he could you know i think when he was playing at at lsu there's a lot of talk of oh well he's great passing for his size no he's he's really just great passing like he's an elite passer he has elite vision and instincts and awareness and i think that's going to translate very quickly high turnovers but i think that's going to translate very quickly the questions on the jump shot you know i think i didn't chart it after his last game but through the first i believe it was four games i think he had gone what maybe like five for 17 outside of the restricted area something really low like that something right yeah, around I think, 20. I think you said i think you said five for 19 in, in your yeah, mailbag it, it was something around it was not good and i think only one of those i think he only had one made shot outside of the paint and, so, and that one banked in off the backboard yeah. from, the t- from the free throw line which he was not trying to do yeah uh, if, if he shot you know one for whatever outside of the, the the paint that was probably not a projectable one for whatever um you know it like folds and i think we kind of expected simmons to have this but he has a serious kind of phobia of shooting away from the basket and you kind of hope that there would be some progress made on that in the you know 16 or so months since the Sixers drafted him granted he was you know he had that foot injury but you hope that he would have a little more confidence in that jump shot it doesn't really appear like that is the case he's gonna you know I think start his career off trying to force everything inside and at least that's what he's done so far in the preseason now granted he has the speed and athleticism to get to his spots but he's also doesn't have the greatest touch right now and his you know he did a lot better the other night in the the, the final preseason game uh he against the heat he was finished really well i think he shot like nine for 11 in that game part of it's he got a couple easy looks in transition part of it he got a, a couple easy post-ups off the ball but he also did a better job you know the sixers ran out a lot of small lineups especially when Embiid was you know not able to play in the second half because he had, had reached his minutes restrictions but i think having that kind of space and pulling that shot blocker away from the away from the rim really helped him as well so you know i think he's gonna he's gonna be frustrating at times because I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to have high turnovers. I think he's going to struggle at 
times in the half court. And then he's going to have times where he's going to absolutely wow you because he does have that kind of athleticism to get by his guy and get in the paint and make things happen. So I think he's going to be a little up and down, a little inconsistent. But I do think those things, the, the, the transition pushes, the athleticism, the elite passing, I think they're going to be there. But I think his ability to be a real effective half court scorer will come and go. And, you know, I think clearly he has to work, still get a little stronger in his upper body. Although he's, he's got a decently developed upper body, but he's got to get to the point where he's willing to really initiate that contact. And he's got to really work on that jumper. And I think in time, maybe those two things will, uh, you know, will get better and he'll reach what, what everyone hopes he will reach. Yeah, I am I second almost everything that you said. I did get a chance to watch a couple games of him. The ones that I saw were the ones that Fultz didn't play in. And some of the things that stuck out to me, number one, he pushes the ball really hard. When he gets the ball in a grab and go, or really pretty much everyone who gets a rebound is out letting the ball to him. You know, if it's Bayless, he hasn't played that much with McConnell, but like he, they are, he is the guy they are trying to get the ball to. And he pushes the ball hard. He's really a fantastic transition weapon, except for that finishing that you talked about, especially in the half court. You know, we talked about during the draft time, how when he goes left, he likes to bring the ball back to his right hand and, and kind of float it up. He has yep. at least tried to shoot a few shots going to the basket with his left hand. So there's some progress there from when we saw him before the draft. But I think he doesn't get any kind of extension. He's got a small wingspan. His hands are not very big, I don't think. I think that's a big part of his problem as well. The ball kind of squirts out of his hand. He's not able to really move it around in his hand to avoid shot blockers. And and he's not really able to like go up and dunk one-handed either unless he's like really got a lot of space so you know I'm not sure how great of a finisher he's going to be when he's really contested you hope that he can get into some areas where he's just not going to be that contested on the fast break or on post-ups and then I think you know seeing him if they if he's kind of you know playing the four in terms of the defense they're putting a larger guy on him and then they try to run a pick and roll with the center he's not really able to beat a center one-on-one at this point because the center can just wait for him under the rim essentially and then he's not able to finish over that guy yeah having to guard him away from the hoop would really help him a lot Um, and not just help his ability to make shots obviously but also help his ability to get in the paint he will be a really I do agree with you I kind of wonder about hand size Uh, that's something I've kind of wondered about he didn't obviously none of the top prospects do anymore go to the combine but that would have been some good piece of data that we could have gotten from there Um, you know it will be it'll be a work in progress and I do agree with you that getting him in spots where he's not as contested as heavily is going to be big and I do think some of the things the Sixers have done in terms of give and go and setting screens and, and getting him the post up spots has been you know has been good and I think he's going to because of his size and you know unique combination of skills they can run a lot of that and I think that's going to be uh you know I think they're going to have to worry not worry but I think they're going to have to work to get him shots maybe more than you would you would have maybe thought but I do think there is enough for him to exploit that over time and especially as his jumper gets better he can uh you know he can he can be a viable half court scorer as well I certainly think certainly think there's hope in that regard yeah and I think that it may be just straight pick and roll is not going to be his forte because you can kind of go under on him or you can switch him pretty easily I think actually he'll have more success in pick and rolls with smaller players try to get the other team's point guard onto him and then he can back down use his passing ability pass over the defense uh you know getting quick duck-ins there was one play I think it was a Jaleel Okafor actually threw a great pass to him from the left wing for a dunk uh in I think that last game so there are I, I agree with you I think there are a lot of creative stuff that they can do with him I mean, if you had to guess how many points a game you think he averages this season 13 12 13 somewhere on there I think he's going to have the 
ball enough where it's not going to be anything like single digits. Yeah. And I think he's going to get enough in transition where I think it's going to be the case too. But you know, like I said, I think they're going to have to work to get him some uh, some matchups he can really exploit to maintain his efficiency in the half court. Uh, because I do think there's going to be, you know, just getting to the basket in situations where he has a, a realistic chance of converting at a high rate. Um, and I, w- I would love to see him initiate contact more and get to the free throw line, even if he's not going to convert at a whole lot. You know, I think he shot, what, probably about 63, 64% in, at LSU. Um, but I'd love to see him initiate that and embrace that because he is still, you know, he does still have a real size mismatch down there. Yeah, I, I my prediction is just that he's never going to get it with the jump shot. I and mean, he just seems like one of these guys where it's just a mental block at, at this point. I mean, maybe maybe if he does a Tristan Thompson and he changes his shooting hand, maybe that'll <laughs> that, that'll help him. Uh, how does he look defensively? I saw that they even, in what was an experiment, no doubt, put him on Kyrie Irving in one of those games against the Celtics. But, you know, he certainly never tried at LSU. I wasn't as worried about his defense. I thought his anticipation was phenomenal. But how has he looked in terms of his effort level out there? You know, I think he's looked mostly like a rookie looks. Uh, and I mean that in both good and bad ways. Like, I think I think clearly he has those anticipation skills and he can really jump a passing lane. Uh, I also think he's done pretty okay moving his feet. Like, when he played Kyrie and, you know, Brett brought him out in the third quarter and he put him straight up on, on Kyrie, not on a switch, not on, on any kind of action, but just straight up crossing half court, he was defending Kyrie Irving. And I think one-on-one, he held his own you know, about as much as you could have hoped for. It was really off the ball. When Kyrie was running through screens or he was, he was you know, looking to, to help, that's when he got into trouble. And I think if he's going to be asked to defend on the ball a lot, I think that's going to be the issue a lot more than, you know, whether he has a foot speed or the length to uh, to to contest, you know, slow guys down on drives and contest shots. I think he has some tools. Clearly, the wingspan is not necessarily what you would want, but I think his footwork and quickness is good for a guy of his size, very good for guys of his size, when he's dedicated and when he gets down the stand. And at LSU, that was a big question because that almost never happened. And I think it's been better here in the preseason, but there are certainly still still times when he takes a playoff or, you know, when he's just not mentally checked in on the defensive side of the court. But it, it's truthfully been better than I expected. Let's get to the third of the big three now and beat it. And I want to just start with his overall health. What we heard is just, you know, a normal kind of meniscus trim after he had this injury. And then there was all this weird stuff about like, oh, it wasn't bad enough to require surgery. And then it was. And, you know, typical i guess some would say now sixers obfuscation when it comes to the, <laughs> these uh these injuries and then he really you know if, if that were in fact the surgery he waited a while to have the surgery as i recall he didn't actually have it until like march or something isn't that right yep but even so yeah, then were, like you know, he took forever to get back from you know what's normally like an eight week kind of injury yeah well there was a lot of stuff last winter you know he injured it in january they didn't eventually rule him out until late February and then he didn't get surgery until like a month later so there was all, all kinds of delays from diagnosis because originally it was diagnosed as a um, uh, as a bone bruise to surgery and that certainly cut back on time but I think ultimately I don't think his health was a problem when camp started and they're they're not going to officially say anything about this because they like you said they kind of like to be coy about it but I, I don't think his health was so much a problem there's been a lot of speculation about what actually held him up there was a report out there that it was due to contract negotiations 
negotiations and that he wasn't going to play five on five until those were agreed upon. There's been a lot of speculation like, you know, maybe the Sixers just didn't want to officially clear him for five on five because they wanted to do that when he was in a more controlled environment and back at camp. But it really seemed like when he got here to camping in, you know, before the season started, that it was much more of a, okay, we're going to slowly ramp you up. I think a lot of it was fatigue and they, they're aware of how big of a role fatigue has in re-injury. So I think they were okay with, you know, waiting a couple days after camp started, clearing him for five on five, and then slowly progressing him to the point where, where he could play. And if that meant that he wasn't ready for a, you know, the first preseason game or two, I think they were all okay with that. I don't, I don't, I think his, his knee is fine, I guess is, is the long way of saying that. Well, and interestingly enough, the, the knees not covered in the exhibit three on that new contract either. So they will not be protected if he has a knee injury in terms of having some of that uh, B9 guaranteed. Give me your initial thoughts on that contract to now what we have you. I mean, it's kind of outside of a, the purview here, but I wanted to see what you thought about it just in terms of like, was it more team friendly more player friendly than you might have expected like what do you think of how that structure eventually turned out yeah, I mean, I think if you would ask me over the offseason, what would it take to agree to a contract this fall? I think at that point, I would have said it had to include some kind of monetary discount. Like, I didn't know exactly what that would be. Would that start at $20 million? Would that start at $22 million? I wasn't 100% sure, but it seemed like that would have to start a little less than the max. But I think the more I thought about it, you know, and it always comes up, well, what? how many games will Joel Embiid have to play to get a max contract from somebody next summer? And I think how many games he has to play is probably not the right way to ask that question. It's does he have a career-threatening injury? And I think as long as he didn't have a career-threatening injury, he could have played 40 games. If he would just miss time because of, let's say, another similar meniscus tear, I think somebody would have taken a chance on that. And I think it was much more the, the devil was in the details and why he missed time and how much of it was pr- precaution, how much of it was with a real serious injury. And to me, you know, I think the way I kind of came about it is if he just stayed relatively healthy this year, whether that's 50 games, 60 games, whatever, just not having a career-threatening injury, somebody was going to offer him that kind of that kind of, uh, you know, obviously not the five year, but a, a max contract. Right. And I think it would have been virtually all guaranteed. So to me, the way I look at it is as long as he gets through this year healthy, it benefits the team because this was the last chance you were going to really have to get a big portion of that guaranteed. But if he has a, a career threatening injury this year, then it would have made sense to wait to give him that kind of money next summer. It just, I guess what I'm getting at is that the bar that he would have had to reach to get somebody to take a chance on him next summer was so low that taking some portion of it non-guaranteed this year made sense even if it's a number that is hard to swallow at first glance yeah that made sense to me uh and to me i think if if he had made it through the year okay then i probably would have felt better about giving him that kind of a contract the structure to reiterate we danny and i talked about this on, on our last episode but basically he gets the full max guaranteed 25.3 million in 18 19 the first year of the extension and then each successive year after that uh is 48 percent guaranteed uh, but that's they can only cut him and save that money if it's the result of an injury to either of his feet or to his lower back, which you'll recall that he had an issue with it at Kansas as well before that foot injury yep. even even popped up. And then basically it's like two years before each year is like the last is when the amount guarantees is my understanding of the structure. And you could correct me if I'm not saying that that right. But because there is guaranteed money, 48% in each year, what I thought is even if he does suffer an injury, are you really going to cut the guy when he's already on the books for 50% anyway? That was yeah. my big take 
takeaway is like, even if he does suffer the injury, if there's any chance he can come back at all, you still probably keep him around. Yep. No, I mean, this isn't, you know, something like last year where he only plays in 31 games because at the beginning of the season, they're really cautious and they don't play him back to backs. And then they misdiagnose an injury. And it, like, if, if he has a couple years where he's playing 30 to 40 games, he's getting 100% of this money. There's yep. no, there's no protection from that. The only protection this contract offers is very, very serious. Basically, the doctors are telling you there's no chance he'll ever play again kind of, of of an injury. And I mean, look, that that chance is a little too present with Joel Embiid than I think we'll all be comfortable with. So it makes sense to get that protection. But it's certainly not something where you're like, OK, well, now, you know, we can give him this max contract, and not worry about it for the next couple of years because we have protection. That's not that's not the way this is. This is very much a these two pre-existing injuries. If they kill his career, you can get some level of money back. And, and that's really all that it is. It Like I said, I think if you would have had a asked me earlier in the summer, I probably would have said I would have liked more protection or more money off um, or just a, a different non-guarantee structure. But I also then sat there and I said, well, look, if, if what would he have to show to get a, a fully guaranteed max contract next summer? And I just think it's less than I think maybe I would have expected earlier on in the summer. It's just yeah. that kind of young talent is so rare to get that I just I, f- I feel like somebody's going to take that chance. Yeah. The more I think about it, though, is that I don't really think that this contract is that much more desirable than just a fully guaranteed four-year contract, you know, uh, like it, yeah. for, from the team standpoint, because I think there's just such a limited number of circumstances in which you're really going to, to, to that you really would waive him, given that he still is going to count this amount of money. Now you could maybe stretch him and, and, and do it that way and get a little more money. But then you also consider, you know, you've got another year's worth of information at the next time. You could always just give him a max qualifying offer and still force him to sign a five-year deal anyway uh or and he would take that i'm sure a five-year fully guaranteed deal as a restricted free agent next summer or um you also have to consider that it's probably going to cost him eh, between seven and eight million dollars of cap space due to his cap hold next year and this is a team that has some big designs next year so i think ultimately just from a purely financial standpoint i would not have done it if you could have gotten it in a structure where it was like first three years guaranteed second two years could be you could get him completely off the books if there was some sort of an issue then i might have been more interested in something like that uh but anyway that, i think that that's probably enough on that unless you had anything else you want to add we can get, get on to more of this team here no i mean it was it was just one of the more unique situations you'll ever see like a guy with this kind of injury history yeah that's played so little but is also so clearly you know one of the one of the league's best players if you can stay healthy for an extended period of time it is a uh, you know i think there's a lot of different ways they could have gone about it you know i think brian colangelo has said in the past, specifically with the DeRozan negotiations, that he places value in signing these these guys before they hit restricted free agency. And I think that was pretty clear with the way they approached it. And, you know, the way it was described to me is that there are, he believes there are right and wrong ways. Once you have a guy and you you determine he is going to be a part of your long-term future, there are right and wrong ways to go about making him a part of your long-term future. And I think that played a, a big role in it for them as well. You know, I think they said, of, you know, like your deal. And I think that makes sense, having it a, a four year guaranteed deal rather than a five year partially guaranteed deal. But I think they would look at that and say, okay, but you know, are we making the player happy as well? And I think that's just an aspect they value to it as well. And there is also a concern that, hey, he's going to, if if he doesn't have a contract for next year, he could be inspired to push through too hard this year, you know, where he has to, where he plays more games, where he plays back-to-backs. He might chafe at the organization's plan for keeping him healthy, feeling like he has to prove something and and go and, and get that contract. Um, 
he played in the two games so far dominated against the nets it was not quite as good i think he was only one for seven against the heat although he had that amusing twitter battle with hassan whiteside <laughs> uh which is not a very fair fight <laughs> frankly uh, at least in terms of uh social media acumen shall we say but does he look like the same guy next year i mean and like I guess the the other thing, or, or the, does he look like the same guy as last year? Does he look better? Like where, where do you think he's at now? Yeah, no, he looks he looks like the guy who ended January uh, playing amazing basketball. You know, he probably looks like he could lose about five to ten pounds. He looks like he's you know, and Brett said Brett Brown has said this a number of times, but he's the type of guy who really once you get him in a five on five environment and let him run up in on a court, those you know those couple of pounds fly off pretty quickly. But other than that, he looks I mean he looks like the same guy who's euro stepping probably a little more than I would like to from the three point line, uh, falling down on you know about fifty percent of his possessions, which is going to be terrifying. Uh, but with you know feathery soft off touch and really good defensive rotations and he's just i think the thing that amazes me is how much attention he draws when he has the ball it's down unbelievable low. he will first of all he'll open up so many shots for proner guys but he just he forces refs hands as a big i mean i i hate I, I hate throwing this name out there and i'm not saying he is him but i don't think there's been anyone who has forced the refs hands as, as a big man since Shaq, like he does he is going to get a lot of foul calls and that's one thing you know you mentioned the other night he was one for seven from the field well he still had the heat and the penalty all by himself you know four minutes into the game and he lived at that free throw line and i think that's going to help him you know remain effective even when he has those off nights yeah i mean he was not that efficient of a shooter last year uh but and even around the rim only shot 64 percent, which is a lot less than you would think but he just got fouled so much and he made his threes as well that he was able to be efficient yep. despite that titanic usage rate 36 percent usage which is just you know even above demand Marcus Cousins type of levels and I do think it's going to be interesting if he does play I mean have you heard anything about you know maintenance plan playing back-to-backs not playing back-to-backs that kind of stuff uh as as far as like what the plan is for him this year yeah I mean I, th- I think they're gonna be conservative on that I don't know if they've announced that officially but I would expect them to be conservative especially especially at the beginning part of the season you know I think they're probably gonna start him off on a minutes restriction and slowly work that up probably not as slowly as last year you know last year I think he was you know he was on a minute restriction right through the end I think it was 28 minutes at the end um i expect them to start him off on a minute restriction and i also expect them to at least at the start not play on back-to-back so i would i would expect them to be very cautious yeah and it'll be interesting to see if that then causes him to play in this crazy way where he's just shooting every single time and they're throwing it to him every single time because they feel like they have to maximize the amount of time that he's out there and the biggest number of you know we know the 31 games played 786 minutes from last year 3.2 net rating which just crazy i mean everyone else who played on this team was negative 2.5 or below but the defensive rating 99.1 when he was on the floor what does he do that's just makes him so difficult to deal with well, I mean, first of all, he's seven foot two with, you know, long arms, can move quickly. And he's also, you know, built where he can really defend you in the post. And that's that's obvious. Like you watch him and there's just there's an intimidation factor from his sheer size and mobility. But he he recognizes his place. He reads and reacts incredibly quickly for a guy who only has 31 games of NBA experience. And he he did that right from the jump last year. It was it was actually really impressive. You know, a lot of times when young players come in the league, yeah, shot blocker can still impact the game because, you know, they can get to so many 
shots to contest, but he really thought the game yeah. and he really reacted to the game at a speed that that young big men just typically don't have. You can, you know, go to, you know, even Carl Anthony Towns and just watch the way he plays and what's written about him. And I think he's, you know, a good kid who tries hard and has a lot of, of physical talent and he's still kind of learning how to to be that anchor. And Joel's just kind of had that from day one. So I think when you combine that, really being a student of the game defensively and just almost, I don't want to call it an innate skill, but being able to process information that quickly, along with the physical tools that are are, are really rare and really unique. You know, he is, to me, he's a, a defensive player of the year candidate when he plays enough minutes to qualify and when he plays enough minutes where you could realistically vote for him when you have other really elite defenders that you have in the NBA. But I do think his level when he's on the court, and we'll see whether or not, you know, having to play a bigger stretch of minutes, having to play in more games will impact that. Maybe he just doesn't have the energy to commit the way he did in, you know, every minute of every game that he was in last year. But so far from what we've seen, I do think he is at that level. Yeah, it really does seem to be innate because if you compare him, I would say he has like similar physical tools defensively to Miles Turner. And, you know, Miles Turner might even be a better just pure shot blocker than Embiid is, but their impact is miles apart. Embiid is just far better than Turner. I think a lot of that is due to the intelligence factor that you mentioned. Uh, so, so what's going to round out the rest? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, it's really great watching him defensively and just watch, like take a couple possessions and watch his eyes and the way he surveys the floor. You know, a lot of times big men will get fixated on their man or they'll get fixated on pick and roll action and they'll miss cutters or they'll miss, you know, other, you know, back cuts or, or, or what have you going on around them. He sees it all and he sees it all, like I said, at, at a rate that young big men just typically don't. It's 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 fun to watch. So what's going to round out the rest of, of the rotation here? Redick is going to obviously going to start at the two. Covington will start at three. Presumably Ben Simmons will start at four, though, uh, be the point guard. It sounds like I'm guessing Jared Bayless will get the start if Fultz doesn't. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah, it. And beat it and beat at five. Rashawn Holmes is hurt right now, but presumably he and uh, Amir Johnson will uh, trade off backup center. And then Sharich and, and Fultz have got to be in the rotation. So that's that's kind of eight guys there. Uh, what is going to happen with Sarge this year? You know, I, I, Simmons is going to start over him. Sharch had a nice year last year, came on as the year went along, but they also didn't have anyone else to run offense through. Uh, Zach Lowe actually had a good comparison for him, which was Boris Dia, although, you know, young Boris was a lot more athletic. But I, that's actually an interesting thought. This, he kind of works the same way, like backs guys down. Um, but like, what's his role going to be this year now? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think they're going to play some small ball, especially at the beginning of the year with Rashawn out, where Ben or or Sarge will be your five. You know, and I oh, think offensively man, that is torched if they, if they well, do that. I, I was getting to that. I was saying offensively, I think that might be intriguing yeah. because you can open up the lane for Simmons, but defensively, yeah, they're going to have a real tough time uh, stopping anyone with that group. Um, but it'll at least be entertaining to watch because it should be a high scoring affair on both ends. Um, you know, but I think they'll try to get him some minutes that way, and I think they're going to play some minutes with both Ben and charge at the three and the four and i think with simmons you know you can ask him to take on that defensive assignment assuming he's locked in and and really committing himself but i think he has the size and athleticism to do that for at least spot minutes it will be you know i think the key for him for charge is going to be that that three-point shot and for a guy who is really shooting i think about 40 percent uh with efes during his last year there you know he came in last year and i think he shot about 31 percent and that's going to be really key for him uh both because you 
know, he's going to be playing a lot more off the ball, but also so he can have some closeouts to attack, uh, some op- some driving lanes that will open up. And for a guy who isn't anywhere approaching an elite athlete at this stage, I think that'll be important for him too. It will be, I think, a, you know, Sharge clearly played better as the season wore on and as he went into a starting a starting role. And I think the offense running through him really, you know, it, it was a game that he has played in the past. And I think having to, you know, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of ball handlers on his team now. All of a sudden, you have Fultz and Simmons, and and even Embiid's going to initiate a lot of his own offense. Sharch is going to have to find a way to contribute off the ball, and I think a lot of that's going to be his shooting, a lot of that's going to be his cutting, which I think he can do. But he's certainly going to have to adapt quite a bit. I do think they're going to try to get him a lot of minutes, you know, twenty five plus minutes. But I think they're going to have to get creative in doing that with some lineups where Sharch or Simmons are at the five, and with some where Simmons are at the three. Yeah, that's one that I think play those two guys with Redick and Robert Covington or with two other shooters who are smalls and then you could still have a traditional center and then you know because you can still have Simmons just handle the ball there so you can get away with that and that way you don't have the issue of you know, if you have a traditional three like Covington who can hit shots Simmons operating as the one Sharich is the four then you've got enough space on the floor I think if your your best shooter at forward is Sharich and then you have Simmons as a total non-shooter that's when it kind of gets difficult and even you know Embiid is an okay shooter at center but you don't want him just hanging out the out there as well to just space the floor for these guys so that's that's a direction that I might go as well um I mean like how good do you think Sharch is like is is I I realize he's a tough guy to fit around in some respects you know the outside shot is going to be important but like is he good enough as something that you can run offense through where he could be you know one of the primary couple of options on a, a decent offense or could he get there eventually you know, I think I think I think he's tough because clearly he has that kind of passing where you would want to say yes. But is he going to really force enough rotations yeah. and score efficiently enough that you would want to do that? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think he has to become much more of a secondary playmaker, make those shots, like I said, attack those closeouts and then take advantage of rotations in that way. You know, I, it's it's it'll be interesting to watch him develop because it is, you know, he's not going to get that primary role all that frequently. So, you know, he did play a little bit of that kind of role with Efez in the previous years, and he struggled with yeah. it at times. I thought a lot of times his, his skill looked like it was a little bit wasted. They seemed like they were really intent on making him a, pip, a pick and pop big, and I think that was not taking advantage of all of his skills. But on the other hand, I do I do think it's a fair question to say, well, can he do that at an efficient level in the NBA? You know, and we'll see. I do think that shot, you know, I think when he gets to the point where he can make that three-point shot at a 36, 37% rate, we'll have a much better chance of being able to really, you know, really ask that question and answer it with any real kind of accuracy yeah it's just it's tough for a lot of these european guys Nemanja bielitsa is it doesn't have quite the same offensive game that sharich does as far as being able to back down and operate in the post and and i love sharich's toughness in the post he can attack mismatches and maybe that's another option for him is that you know this team can kind of play some ability ball like you know try to get him with a smaller matchup as well but you see these guys if you can't really go through them as a pick and he's not really much of a pick and roll ball here handler right Sarge yeah yeah so and he doesn't really have the explosion to like you know even to beat bigger players on switches necessarily so it is tough for him to create his own efficient offense to where you're right they have to he draws defensive attention and he can use they that great passing ability and then you know defensively he's uh, is mediocre a good descriptor of it would you say or is it worse than that you know I think the nice thing about Sarge is first of all he tries and that is a that is a bonus I also think he by and large is making the right reads and the right rotations which is a is a plus 
he is at a huge disadvantage athletically. Quickness, changing direction, exploding near the rim, rim protection. He doesn't really offer much in, in any of those respects. So I would say certainly below average. I'm not sure I would say completely untenable though, just because he does give effort and he does make seemingly the right rotations more often than not. Yeah, and he struggles with his wingspan as well. You know, being a six ten, yep. but I think he's six nine, six ten wingspan, as I recall. Um, so I want to say T.J. McConnell presumably is going to get a lot of the backup points guard miss or is i guess that's a good question actually i mean if fultz is healthy you know how's that going to shake out with bayless and uh tj mcconnell and you know getting the minutes hopefully behind fultz hopefully fultz will, will get back to starting yeah i mean it's it's brett brown before the season he met with reporters and he said look i don't think you can put another guy on the court along with ben simmons who doesn't have three-point range he's like i just don't i don't think you can do it and then the natural follow-up question was well what about tj i think tj shot like maybe 25 percent from three and on on pretty much he was as adverse to taking them as any point guard in the league and then his response was well how could you not play TJ and that's kind of the conundrum that he's in you know they love they love what TJ McConnell brings he's a real stabilizing presence like he, he moves the ball around his defense he's probably the best defender of that point guard group he pushes the ball uh, really plays up tempo as much as you know he can but that shot is a really big question mark and it's a really big concern yeah. with Ben Simmons it's and not Mitchell a question Embiid mark for and, me and, and, it's uh, a, I know it's bad <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you know, I like, mean, overcoming yeah, it is a yeah, question. Yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just wanted to make that joke. I'm sorry. But, but, but yeah, I mean, it's no, he, it's rough for him out there. It is. It is. And overcoming that is tough. Uh, it will, it'll be interesting how they watch. And look, in the preseason, he's maybe been their best point guard, um, which again is, is kind of the conundrum Brown is in. I think TJ is a, a very legitimate backup point guard. I think he has a role, but I also think playing him alongside Ben Simmons is tough. And when you have Ben Simmons on the roster, who's presumably going to be playing 30, 35 minutes a night, you want wonder how big TJ's role is going to be. It will be, you know, my gut says Markel will eventually win the starting point guard job back or starting however you want to phrase yeah. it. Um, you know, I know they, they announced right now Ben Simmons as a point guard. He certainly initiates most of the half court offense, but I think he, Markel Fultz will win that remaining starting guard spot back. Um, and I think Bayless will probably end up being the first then guard off the bench. Exactly what role, you know, I think you probably get away with for brief stretches, depending on matchup, a Markel and Bayless. Bayless backcourt. So maybe that will then open up some minutes for TJ. But TJ is going to have to prove himself. It's kind of weird because he came into the league as an undrafted free agent with a non-guaranteed contract. So in some respects, he's as proven as he's ever been because I think now he's seen as a legitimate NBA backup yeah. point guard. But on the other role, his role with the team is probably as tenuous as it's ever been. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who has started, I think, over half of the games at point guard spot over the last two years. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch how Brett Brown gives out those minutes because there's, I mean, there's real friction to playing tj along with Embiid and simmons it's, it's just going to be difficult yeah and i think he's you know on a decent team is a 10 or 15 minute of the game pure backup uh, point guard type so they've got four young wings who you know don't project to be i mean maybe one of these guys would be in the rotation but especially if both mcconnell and bayless are it's going to be tough to have more than one of them but uh i'm talking about uh tlc timothy luau cabarro nick stauskas justin anderson and furkan korkmaz Could you, how would you rank those guys in terms of 
who you expect to get the most playing time this year? It's a really interesting question. I think I think Firkin Korkmaz has surprised everyone, probably even even the team, with how well he's played so far. And I think that shot of that group, that shot is probably the most projectable skill of that group. And clearly that is something they value quite a bit. Uh, I mean, we, we just spent the first 45 minutes talking about shooting with Simmons and Embiid and how you want to surround them with that. So I think that is a key skill. And I think long term, that's probably the guy that might have the best shot of being in the rotation long term. But I think he's very young. He's has a lot of maturing to do physically. And I think you can pretty easily put him down in the G League now. Uh, I'm finally getting the hang of saying that. But I think you can probably put him down there uh, and 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 get away with it there. So then you're down down left to three. And I'm not sure. He might end up forcing his Ray in the rotation. His shooting is that good. Um, but I think they could start him off at least down in the G League. Luau Cabarro clearly had a, a big role towards the end of the season. Exactly what his role is going to be in the future is is going to be much smaller than that. Um, I think he, of the group, I mean, Anderson has some defensive ability as well, but I think Luau Cabarro might end up being the best defensive player of that group, but that shot is still, you know, a relative question mark. And I think he's looked pretty good so far in the preseason in terms of, you know, making decisions at a pick and roll. I think he looks like he's added a little bit of weight and he seems like he's a little more willing to attack the basket, which is good because he didn't get the free throw line a whole lot last year. But he still has, to me, maybe the most variance in what he could end up becoming. Like there's still a, a you know, realistic outcome where he just never puts it together. He's an inefficient offensive player. His spot up shooting is never good enough where you can just put him in the corner and say, okay, make, make, make that corner three. And he still needs to get a little bit stronger defensively. But I think they like him and I think they're going to want to give him minutes. So I think he's going to be in the rotation early on. Uh, and I think Justin Anderson, again, I think they like him, but is he going to make yeah. shots? And that's been his question the entire, you know, his entire basketball career outside of that one season at Virginia where he somehow shot like 45% from three or something ridiculous and has been never, never even close to being able to replicate that. If he can make shots and he makes shots early in the season, you know, I think they're going to give him that chance because he has worked in that shot over the summer as have most NBA players. But I think they're going to give him that shot to earn that spot. And if he's making shots, he might stay in that rotation. But I agree with you. It might come down to only one of these guys really getting consistent minutes. And I think if I had to pick one right now, it would be Luau Cabarro. Not necessarily because I think he's maybe the best one to contribute now, but because I think they still, you know, as a number one pick, uh, first round pick last year, I think they want to really give him every opportunity. I actually think that Anderson has the highest ceiling of any of these guys, just because if he can make shots, he becomes that elusive three and D and he's so strong and so athletic and really, you know, he'll make a lot of plays like chase down blocks, those sorts of things where it's, and we're waiting, we've been waiting now for two years, a 30% three point shooter. And maybe it's never going to come around. I mean, guys who shoot that poorly, sometimes the light comes on, but usually it doesn't for them in their careers. But I, I think, especially because with Covington, he Covington's totally healthy, right? After that surgery that he had. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. Good. So, but, and he's obviously a very underrated defender. We need to spend a lot of time on him because I think we kind of know what, what he is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like Anderson. I think TLC, there are a lot more two way two guards, three and D type of two guards than there are three and D threes. And TLC is not going to have the size to guard three. So if you can get that guy to make shots, someone with Anderson's physical tools, that's the the rarest commodity of any of those guys. But it sounds and it sounds like Stauskas is really going to be totally out of it. You're thinking, yeah, I would. I mean, look again, they're so desperate for shooting, yeah. they might give him a chance early on. But he's you know he's he's never really consistently made shots, and for a guy who's really only consistent at well not consistent, but who's only expected to be role is to make shots. That's that's kind of that's kind of an issue. Um, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see him being in the 
rotation. You know, if he comes out and he struggles the way he struggled the last two seasons, I expect I expect them to go in another direction relatively. Yeah, quickly. I was surprised even. And also, yeah. I agree with everything you said about Justin Anderson. It's just you know convincing me that he's going to make shots is going to take a it's going to take some time. Yeah, no, it's and it's definitely wishful thinking when you see his other physical tools. Um, crunch time lineup for these guys. I think you could probably pencil in when everyone is healthy: Redick, Covington, Simmons, Embiid, and then you know hopefully Fultz if he's playing well then maybe i guess bayless would probably be the other guy that they would look at i mean i guess they need somebody to defend point guards yep yeah i mean it's it's i i would hope that i could answer this question with it being Fultz. that would i, I would be happy if i could answer this question saying it would be Fultz. right now i'm not sure that's the case i think early on it's probably going to be bayless some nights probably mcconnell depending on how he's playing and, and maybe matchups and whether they really want to pressure at the point of attack but yeah i think i think it's going to be that lineup that you laid out with the reddick covington simmons and bead and then whichever point guard is really really playing well i think they could could almost do it by committee there um i want to spend like 30 seconds on this do you think that uh okafor's rookie option is going to get declined fourth year option yes yep and that's not that's not to be clear that's not me reporting anything but when you sit down you do the math and how they can get to a 35 percent max it would be very difficult to do that with okafor's option on the book yeah i I think you're i mean they could always stretch him they could try to trade him into space although there's not much space left um yeah, they've been they've been trying to trade him for well quite a while. Yeah, now too. yeah. I mean, and, and I think even you know if they decline the option, you could a, a new team could start him at a contract that would be almost like eight million a year. I think that's about what he's supposed to make next year. So you know he's not going to get more than that next year as a free agent. No, I mean right. unless he like goes to Chicago or Phoenix or whoever. That's who Zach Lowe predicted he was going to get traded to, uh, and just you know averages twenty points a game and you know on sixty percent true shooting or something, which uh, probably not going to happen. Um, what do you see? is what do you see yeah. as the big strengths for this team well i mean if, if Embiid's on the court it's it's defense and uh, i really look forward to the day where i don't have to preface that with when Embiid's on the court uh but we are not at that day yeah, yet you could but when he's on the court they are uh, sorry, uh, i was go gonna say if you have a, a uh, time machine for like three years from now that's that's the that's yeah. the first time that's gonna happen i mean i think it's always gonna be something that's gonna dog him for for quite some time that's optimistic yeah. too um no but when he plays i have confidence they're gonna be a good team especially when you put a guy like like covington who's really come into his own and has that kind of versatility where you can put him on almost any perimeter option. And even a guy like Simmons and to a degree Fultz, who may not be consistent defenders, but will at least generate turnovers. You know, I think they're going to end up being a good team when Embiid's on the court. And when he's not, they're going to really struggle. You know, for as much as I like Rashawn Holmes as a future backup big, he has a ways to go in terms of being a, a good defender. And I mean, Okafor's defense has been well written about. Going small with Simmons or Sharich at the five is going to get picked apart. So they're really going to struggle when Embiid's off the court. It's kind of scary how much one guy can make that big of an impact. But I do think they have the pieces that when he's on the court, they're going to really compete. So I think that's really going to be their calling card. And I hope their calling card is shooting their other calling card. And the reason I say hope is because of Covington. And this is a guy who, you know, last two years has shot like 35, 36% from three, which is fine. But he always starts off really slow. You know, we're talking in the 20s here in October and November, and then picks it up as the season goes on and eventually hits that mark. If he comes out making shots, then I think they're going to have relatively decent floor spacing. And I would be able to say that a lot more comfortably if I knew what Fultz was going to give you on the perimeter. But at the very least, you have, you know, a guy like, you know, a guy like Bayless to go to if you don't. Their starting lineup at the very least should be relatively well spaced. Yeah. And Reddick, if Reddick keeps making uh, 12 out of every 14 threes <laughs> like he has in the preseason, right. that, that'll that help matters too. 
Um, yeah, I would say is passing a strength of the team. You got Simmons, Sharich, uh, McConnell's is a nice passer for his position. Fultz, in theory, a good passer. Reddick coming off of those pin downs. Uh, Embiid probably not there yet, but I think that's yep. something that could be a strength for these guys. Yeah, no, I think I think passing and creativity and vision will be a strength. I think that directly ties into another weakness we'll get to in a second. Uh, but yeah, I think I think there there's a bunch of guys on this roster who can pass. Yeah, and maybe they can force some turnovers as well. But I think the weakness here, any other strengths that come up before we, we get to the obvious weakness, which is everyone's been talking about, which is the turnovers? Yeah, they're going to turn the ball over a ton. Um, no, I think I think those are the two main ones or three main ones, passing, shooting, defense. Um, and yeah, I mean, transition. Yeah, transition. Like they're going to get that's- up. That's, that's the one that came to mind for me too. Uh, yeah. So why? I mean, you have to imagine with Embiid and Simmons and just generally how young they are, Fultz too. Like they're just going to throw the ball all over the gym. Yeah, all over the place. Uh, it's going to be. I mean, hopefully Embiid, his turnovers will come down. Hopefully he won't be initiating nearly as much of his own offense. Um, that should help him. But I still think he's going to turn the ball over a ton. And Simmons and Fultz, by nature of being you know rookie in in Fultz's case, nineteen year old ball handlers, like history has been pretty clear on what they're going to do and that's going to be turning the ball over a ton um having all of your guys all of your your lead playmakers really be that young is is a recipe for not disaster because i think you know it's kind of the bed you make when you when you build your team like this but i think it, it, it's really gonna that's gonna kill them and if we're gonna talk if there's a if basically if there's a world where Embiid's healthy for 60 games and they're not a top 15 defense it's because they turned the ball over a ton and they really got killed in transition and i think that's going to be their clear number one weakness this is a little bit more discreet but i think finishing around the rim is going to be a big problem for this oh, team for sure. uh Simmons yep. we talked about him Fultz uh I think is going to really struggle to finish uh, especially if he's driving into crowds because he doesn't want to shoot outside Sharich another guy who will take shots around the rim but doesn't have a ton of explosion so I think if you look at their four main even Covington yeah, too yeah you look at their four main creators and, and you mentioned Covington I mean Reddick's not a guy who's going to finish around the rim either so that could be a problem and especially if the space isn't that good I noted which I didn't realize they were 28th in defensive rebound percentage last year do you think that'll improve this year yeah, and that's, if you had to give me one spot where Embiid could get better, that would probably be it. You know, and I think obviously a lot of it is, you know, shot blockers can at times be out of position. I think that's one area where he can improve. But I think he needs to make a, a bigger impact on that side of the court. I do think having Simmons should help. Like, I think if he's coming in, you know, from the perimeter, from the three, four spots defensively, I think he can grab a, you know, a fair amount of defensive rebounds. That should help. Covington is a, a pretty good rebounder, defensive rebounder from the wings. That should help too. But yeah, that that is an area that has to be shored up and it's it's kind of a surprising area because i don't think he necessarily expected that um and i think a lot of it has to do again with how much time Embiid missed even though i just said he has to get better but when the backup options were jilly Okafor and rashawn holmes they're really not good Oof, defensive yeah. rebounders so hopefully just having him on the court more often will yeah and with well. Embiid on the floor they did defensive rebound 77.4 percent of opponent misses when you with holmes Okafor out there that was down in the 75 percent range crazy that we're talking about 75% is like a bad defensive rebounding rate. I mean, that there's 10 years ago, I think that probably would have led the league actually, but uh, it really shows you how much they've uh, made that a point of emphasis. Uh, okay, I will go first here with the prediction. Oh, sorry, did you have something else? I was just going to say also how much offensive rebounding has. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's more of it than that they're like that defense. I mean, I think defensive rebounding is probably less of an emphasis than it was because it's just there's no one going to be yeah. there. Uh, you know, it's right, almost exactly. conceded. Uh, yep. So I'm going to go ahead and do the prediction 
first this time so I can uh, not be accused of uh, trying to undercut someone. The over-under, at least at the time we did it, was 42 and a half. Has that changed at all? Like, do you have a more recent update on that? Not that I know of. Um, I also don't know if I've necessarily kept too yeah. up to date on that. Um, I, li- I-, I like my money and I try not oh, to lose it. Yeah. Uh, gambling, yeah, I, I, but... I don't gamble either, but I like to uh, I like to at least be... Also, I'm really yeah, bad at gambling. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, good. I, I, we can't wait to get your prediction then. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do like beating Danny in our our uh, over under competition every year. So forty two and a half that seemed completely insane to me at the time. That was before we knew anything about Embiid. Now, I mean, it seems like things are going as well as you could have hoped. So there's some more reason for optimism there. But I also think that you know Simmons has been about probably what I would have expected. Fultz has been a lot worse than I would have expected so far. Uh, and maybe thinking that he was going to be like a big part of winning either of those guys, it, it's tough. Um, and then of course there's always the Embiid health issue. And, you know, I mean, I think 60 games would seem like almost like the most he could possibly play this year when you consider back to backs and just any sort of an injury, they're going to be ridiculously cautious about, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so considering that, I mean, I think I'm going to go with 36 wins for this group. Yeah, I think I think the number I kind of have in my head is right around 39, maybe up, you know, 39, 40 range. I could see 42 happening, but it, it's going to take at least 60 games from Embiid. And it's going to take, you know, Fultz finding his confidence and his shot in his offensive game. Um, If they didn't have so many new, I mean, you, you look at that starting lineup, three of the six or three of the three of the six, three of the five starters are new starters. Uh, I that's a lot for any team, much less a team that features so many rookies. I think the one thing that's kind of keeping me close is just the Eastern Conference. Uh, I mean, that, you know, six plus range in the Eastern Conference is, and I feel like I've probably, over the past two decades, I've probably said this at least six or seven times, but I feel like that part of the Eastern Conference is as bad no, as I can ever No, this is the worst year that I can ever and remember. It, I, I I try to keep in, keep this in mind. I mean, I, I've definitely, I can't remember another year where I'm definitely going to project, I think, whoever the eighth seed is to have like 37 wins or something i think i, I might it might even right, be these guys right. with 36 I, I have to go back and uh, that's my next podcast actually to like go through all these those predictions but i mean i i would predict that you know if the eighth seed has 38 wins that would surprise me and that's the lowest i can remember the eighth seed having in like the modern era yeah no it, it, it's going to be really bad and i think there's going to be so many winnable games because of that and then you get down to you know the end of the season and you've got teams that are you know basically given up because they're awful and whether or not there's any kind of impact on the well new lottery I, I caught myself I was going to talk about the new lottery rules and then I realized that didn't take effect until 2019 um, but you just look at some of these teams and how many of them are even going to be trying and how many of them even really matter if they were trying and there's just so many winnable games out there that I can see them approaching that even if they struggle just because they do at least have something they can fall back on they do have Embiid to anchor that defense they do have you know a playoff caliber starting wing rotation in Covington and Reddick that I think they should have at least some kind of identity and there's so many many teams in Eastern Conference that I don't think will. So I could see 39 or 40, but I would take the under unless you're going to tell me Embiid's now playing 65 or so games. But I I think the number is relatively close, even if it's a little you know, bit I high. feel like if you could tell me Robert Covington's three-point percentage and Joel Embiid's games played, yeah. I could like really yeah, narrow it. Like those yeah. are the two key questions to me. Like is this this first year on a real NBA offense for Covington? Is he going to be able to hit shots or is he still going to be, you know, a volume guy but 34 is he going to be you know the kcp of small forwards basically where he takes 
a ton of them, but just, you know, isn't making more than 34, 35%, or is he really going to be able to get up to like that reputation as a shooter? And obviously he's very good defensively as well, but um, so best case scenario for, for these guys, yeah. I would say maybe 47 w- would be about as good as I could see it yeah. being. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah, no, that, that was right about where I was going to say. There's not a, there's not a world I can see them, them hitting 50, um, but you know, high, high 40s, 46, 47, 48, I would say that's somewhere in the best case scenario. And again, that's going to take, you know, if let's say Embiid misses 14 games because of back-to-backs right off the bat, that would take him play, playing pretty much every other game. Uh, and that would take, you know, Simmons adjusting quicker than expected. That would take Fultz finding himself. That would take J.J. Redick playing at, you know, J.J. Redick of the past, you know, four years. Um, and like you said, that would take Robert Covington being really consistent, which he just has not been offensively. And one of the things I gave him a lot of credit for last year was that even when he was shooting, you know, 30% from the field and 24% from three or whatever he started off as, his defensive effort, effort was still there. But in order to reach that that top end projection, he's going to have to be a uh, be a real plus offensively as well. Yeah, worst case scenario, I could see them about 29 wins, you know, if it, and with Embiid's health, you know, I mean, usually I don't go to like, oh, the guy has a season ending injury. But if the guy played 31 games last year, you could say, all right, if he plays 31 this year, you don't see them necessarily being that much better. And I also think it's possible potentially that if they are not that good, they could again be kind of more in the draft pick realm and they could even maybe look to move JJ Redick or even like buy him out potentially um, to a contender. He's making so much that matching the salaries would probably be difficult. There really aren't, isn't that much in terms of expiring contracts that they could get back right. for him. So maybe it would more likely be something like a, a buyout, but uh, hopefully that won't happen. I mean, I do expect them to be pretty close to the playoff race and they're a team that really, I think, wants to make the playoffs this year in contract contrast to maybe some of these others oh for sure and especially when you're talking about trying to clear cap space for a 35 percent max it's a lot easier sell when you say we have a healthy joel Embiid and we just made the playoffs um, no i think i think they want to really compete for that playoff spot um but they are probably one of the higher variance teams in the leagues where there's just there's so many different outcomes we're projecting you know an 18 game 19 game 20 sure. game swing of realistic outcomes is really fair and i you know low end 30 wins 29 wins like I would be surprised if they lost or if they won fewer games than they did last year because last year it seemed like everything kind of went went against them at least in terms of Embiid health um, the whole Okafor Noel experimenting playing alongside of Embiid and and all of that um, but then again Embiid did play 31 games so there is probably a, a lower bar to be set which none of us want to think about. What do you think they rank in offense and defense? 30th a year ago although not a kind of 30th that was like you know 5 points per 100 possessions <laughs> yeah. below the 29th team and then defense 17th had a, a 26 and 56 expected one loss obviously finished the, the 28 and 54 uh what do you see them as an offensive defense this year i do think they'll improve offensively i mean if if they drafted Fultz and signed reddick and didn't improve offensively there'd be something to answer for um but i do think turnovers are going to prevent them from really shooting up too far so i would say and again this is it's so hard to project when you have no idea how many sure. minutes Embiid's going to play like i feel like you know if Embiid plays what 25 minutes a night at, at 60 games that's still a lot of minutes you have to account for him defensively right. when he's not on the court yeah but they do um, have amir johnson so i think they do have amir johnson is better than anyone else they had they do so they do. that could help um you know i think defensively they could end up being pretty high let's say borderline top 10 yeah like, i think they can be that good because Embiid's that good if he's playing 60 games and again i have no idea how close he's going to get to that uh, but i'm going to say let's say 11th defensively and like 26th offensively i just think turnover is going to prevent them from going up much higher than that i think they'll be worse defensively 
defensively and better offensively than you're saying just because if you look at how bad some of these offenses are i mean you know there's chicago indiana orlando the knicks like all those teams are gonna atlanta like i think you can easily pencil in all all of those teams to be worse than them the kings that that, the kings too so like i'm thinking they could get up to you know 22nd or 21st in offense something like that is more what i'm anticipating and it could you know if reddick and covington hit shots i mean if and you know a lot of it depends on simmons too but if they you know if they had if they just started bayless reddick a covington that hit shots and then simmons and Embiid, i think that's actually like that to me is an above average offensive group potentially i mean a lot of it depends on simmons like how good can he be actually making plays uh, and how efficient can he be but he's got enough they'll have enough space that he could they can attach mismatches so i think those lineups could be could be pretty good once you get mcconnell on the floor i think it could get ugly um as well when Embiid's not out there I think it could, it could get ugly so I, I think you know 20 I think like 20th in offense and 15th in defense is kind of about where I would expect these yeah. guys to be and that's you know that's I think that's pretty close to like 36 wins type of territory you know when, when you started it, it's funny because we just talked about how many how the east is as bad as yeah. we can remember it, and then you started rattling off those teams it did make me realize that 26 is, is yeah. too low there's the just too jazz many really or another one too who might be um, you know could have a really bad off yeah. um the nets still i mean they, like they're gonna have floor spacing but they don't really have any yep. creators uh they're definitely oh the pistons are, are gonna be terrible offensively too i mean there are a lot of bad offenses uh, especially in that eastern conference yeah there are i've just been beaten down from you know sixers fan four years running worst yeah. offense in the league so i think uh but I, th- I think you're absolutely right there's a lot of really bad teams so I'll, I'll i'll bump that up i think you're right low 20s is probably probably a good mark which which would be uh you know it all depends I hate saying it we could have boiled this entire hour-long podcast down to it all really does depend on Joel yeah well I mean at least we know that he's good now right like I mean and so very little and I I thought this was interesting when Danny and I were talking too about the extension is so little of the discussion about him is like oh well how good is he actually like everyone knows that he's really good and and I mean he could still get better too I mean I think he could become even more unstoppable in the post he can improve his passing he could be a better pick and roll player when they actually have some space like his ability as a role threat or a pick and pop threat is something that they didn't really get a chance to explore too much so really he he was great last year but i still think he's got a lot of improvement that he could potentially do um all right let's get you out of here man but tell us uh, about your endeavors at the athletic real quick uh and where to keep up with you on twitter <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, we we launched, uh, you know, the Athletic Philadelphia. Uh, go check it out. We've got, like I said, myself, Rich Hoffman, and Mike O'Connor. I'm really excited about the team we built covering the Sixers. And Twitter, at Derek Bodner. Yeah, and again, NBA. you guys might be sick of hearing this, but I really want the Athletic to succeed. I think it's a it's a great model, and, and they... they <laughs> yeah, Me too. And, and uh, they take care of the writers. But, you know, if you want to get Derek's stuff, Danny's stuff is on there, Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson, Tim Kawakami, Jason Lloyd in Cleveland. You get all that stuff. Uh, NBA, I mean, I think they're... Uh, get Eric Kareen in Toronto so they're really in a lot of NBA markets and they have in my opinion the best guys in, in all those markets so uh, thanks again to Derek for coming on and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with our season predictions and then the season itself will be upon us talk to you all then